to the Australian Herpticulture Podcast. I'm your host, Jason. And I'm your co-host, Luke. How you going, buddy? <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> I think we do that every episode. <laughs> Pretty much, <laughs> yeah. At the same time, yeah. <laughs> I keep waiting so, for you to say something. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, well, we might get straight into it and, and introduce yep. our guest. Tonight, we've got on Matt Somerville. How you going, buddy? I'm good, thanks. How are you guys? Good, mate. Good. Very yeah. good. Rather than hear me and Luke crack on for 10, 15 minutes, we might as well just get straight into it, eh? Yeah, let's Sounds do it, So, for the listeners at home, Matt's sitting in front of this absolutely stunning enclosure that he's made himself. Why don't you give the listeners a bit of a rundown of what's in that enclosure? Um, I don't know if you fellas can see it or not, but there is an Owen Pelly sitting just up here. I think it's a bit blown out on the camera, but he's sitting curled up up the top up here. It is, yeah, it's an Owen Pelly enclosure and it's pretty big, covers a whole wall in my house. The dude in there is probably, at a guess, three metres long, I guess, a little maybe a little bit under, but he's slender, like he weighs 1.7 1.7 kilos. That's it. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. They're just long. He's like what are they like to keep? Weird. Different. Different <laughs> than any other bike I've ever kept. Frustrating a lot of the time. Yep. Um, I've got them pretty much dialed in now as far as feeding yep. and stress and all that, all that sort of stuff goes. But in the beginning when I first got them, like I've had them a couple of years now, um, yep. they, were, they were a nightmare. Just nervous, stressy, didn't want to eat anything would freak out every time they saw me. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, so getting them those getting those first feeds into them was stressful, especially because they're not a cheap snake either. Yeah, exactly. And you yeah. want the thing to eat, but they're they're bird feeders. They love birds. Um, yeah. That that boy that's sitting up behind me, he will eat rats on the odd occasion, but yeah, naturally in the wild they eat birds anyway. So. I so like you're to just feed feeding them, them quail? Quail and doves a lot yep. of the time is what they're oh, getting. Nice. Yeah, a mate yep. of mine's grandparents actually breed um, show doves. So oh, cool. I get the I get the rejects most of the time. Jeez, that's pretty handy. Yeah, he'll give me some of those, which is very, very handy. But I've also yep. found if I feed them one or two doves, then they want doves all the time instead of quail. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I've tried to stick with quail, but varied diet's a healthy diet, right? So yep. try, and, try and give them what they can, what they'll eat all the time. They can eat massive feeds too for how big they are. Like even when these things were one and a half meters long, they could eat an adult quail, no worries at all. Wow. Even though the snakes, like the thickness of a 20-cent piece, they're not, not thick Jeez. snakes. They're just long, slender, weird-looking things, built, built a lot like a young scrubby. Yeah. Yeah. What, are they, what length do they max out at once that were roughly? Oh, I don't think anyone really knows. There's yeah. not a lot of them have been seen in the wild. I think Gavin's got an adult that's just over five meters. Wow. One of the, so one of the original, the yeah, one of the original wild caught girls, I think, is just over five meters. Um, Australian Reptile Park's got one that's 4.5 now, I think, and she was only yeah. born in 2016. Wow. So only five years old. Yeah, yeah. Quick so grow. they can, they grow really really quick, especially off really small amounts of food. Like yeah, mine were doubling their weight almost every two months, off mm. being fed every three weeks. That's it. Jeez. Yeah, so they, they grow fast, really really quick. Yeah. A lot Have you got a pair or just a yeah? Single? I've got a pair. I've got Beautiful. I've just got the boy in there at the moment. 
Um, I did have yep. the girl in there as well, but she wasn't feeding real well in there. She'd, she'd take food, no problem at all. Like she'd come out, smash food, wrap it up, and then just drop it every single time and oh, leave it. Yeah, right. So I moved her. She's back in my snake room now where she can't see me all the time and she feeds fine <laughs> in there. Yeah. Whereas the boy, he just doesn't care. He'd probably hit the glass if I stuck my hand up there in front of him. He's pretty <laughs> pretty food obsessed. But yeah, it's right. winter, so I'm not feeding them right now. Yeah. So are they they're pretty much um, adult now, are they? How long have oh, you had them for? No, I can't even remember when I got them. They're about three years old yeah, right okay. now. Yeah. But they've got heaps of growing to do yet. A lot of growing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They'll thicken up a lot more, put on a lot of size. Yeah, I, I've been trying to slow grow them. Yes. Yeah, but even then they're, they're growing fast. Like I'm not one that feeds my python every seven days or anything like that. Yeah. Most are lucky if they get fed once a month a lot of the time. It's like that, yeah, especially yeah. if they've got a decent meal. Trying to keep them lean and not fat. But it seems to be working in that big enclosure. Yeah. Like he moves around a lot. At the moment where he's sitting is actually – the heat lights are above that and yep. what I've got is about a 10 centimeter thick piece of slate built into the mock rock so that heats up all day and then just radiates heat out through the night and now that we're getting yep. like cold for North Queensland he's he's sitting on that pretty much all night he comes out of a crevice which is just below him and he'll sit on that till that heat fades away and then he'll go back in the crevice again disappear wow. mm. That's unreal. Yeah. Is, is there many people in Queensland working with them? Because, um, I mean, I'm on that Facebook page, but you don't see an awful yeah, lot Yeah, I think a lot of people that have got them are pretty, pretty quiet about quiet. it a lot of the time. There's yeah. a few more people that are becoming a bit more vocal about it. Yeah. And I know some people are having issues with them as well with the whole feeding thing, which I can completely yep. understand. But I think there's a fella down in on the Gold Coast that has them and another guy – it's on the Sunshine Coast, I think, has got a pair as yep. well. As far as I know, that's all there is in Queensland. Yeah. There could be more, yeah. but I don't know about them. Yeah. Did I you think get them directly in, from Gavin? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Gavin's the only person you can really get them from. Yeah. yeah. I think there's more in South Australia than anywhere else, to be honest. Oh, really? Mm. They were the first oh, state good. that was allowed to have them outside of the NT. Yeah. So the Adelaide Keepers... Brought them up pretty quick. Jumped on it. Mm. Yeah, as Queensland's only been able to have them for a couple of years now. Yeah. Yeah, I sort of jumped on them as soon as I could get them. And I could, bet. And could justify the price to myself, which took a long time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're still in the market. <laughs> I had to sell yeah. a lot of snakes to be able to buy those things. I bet. I mm. bet. But it'd be well worth it though. Yeah. Yeah. I sort of got forced to sell a lot of snakes up here. Um Queensland yeah. brought in the whole venomous alapid cap, and because oh, I've kept right. I've kept a huge amount of venomous for oh, since my late teens, and yeah. like I had 100, 150 venomous snakes, and, wow. which was stupid when I look back at it now. It's just <laughs> a full time job, go to work and clean snake shit all day, and come home and clean snake shit all night. I just thought, what what the fuck am I doing with my life? Yeah, and then the cap came in, and they capped us at twenty snakes. So Fire yeah, out. 20, 20 venomous snakes because twenty one is that in total across all the species. Yeah, yeah. So maximum of twenty venomous snakes, including what you breed. So Jeez. and you'd um, you get twenty plus eggs out of most snakes. 
a, an yeah. adder might drop 30, 40 babies in one litter. And when they count. So like an, sorry, go. Is it like an interim? So say if you you hatched out 30 adders, for instance, is it like an interim you've got to get rid of they, those? They gave me six months. Them? They said six yeah, months right. to get rid of everything. And I got capped. The adder that I had that was actually gravid at the time was still four months or three months off dropping. So I really had three months to get them feeding and get them out of here as so well as you, get rid of the you, rest of my stuff. Can you breed them though now or is it? No, no. They've changed it again now. Um, yep. Once we upgrade our license again, you can pay for a certain license. You can keep 50 alapids. Ah, okay. Yeah, there was a lot of backwards and forwards with the department trying to figure out what we could and couldn't do and justifying why yeah. 20 snakes was safe but 20 venomous, 21 venomous snakes was dangerous and all that sort of stuff. But I honestly saw that cap after a while as a blessing in disguise. It yeah, exactly. knocked me down to a manageable amount of animals. And, yeah, I sold the vast majority of my lapid collection. and or gave, I gave a heap to friends and stuff, but I sold a bunch yeah. and that all those lapids paid for those Owen Pellies. That's awesome. Yeah, it's which kind of, yeah, was good. Kind of, yeah, like you said, yeah. it's a blessing in disguise almost. But Yeah, yeah. I Honestly, I don't really want to keep more than 20 venomous snakes ever again. Yeah. Is that yeah. what you've got now, about 20? Yeah, I've got, I'm spot on 20. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've seen some of your um, venomous enclosures. You've got, um, what's the one? I think it was a, a, some type of brown snake. You've got it. The black uh, soil one? The black soil, yeah, that's, that's right, yeah. That's an Ingram's. Yeah, I've got that's- my Ingram's and I've got a speckled brown on on black soil with cracks that they can go down and go into hides and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Those enclosures are insane. They're real they simple, do- but people love them. There's, I've got more like positive feedback of those enclosures than this rockwork enclosure behind me that took six months to build. Whereas those black soil enclosures, I literally drove out to Western Queensland, collected stuff from the natural habitat, brought it back, put it in an enclosure and went done. And oh, really? it was simple. Yeah. Oh, it took a while because I had to crack the soil. Like I put it in soaking wet and black mm. soil once it dries it like it contracts and expands and does all sorts of different things and you get these huge cracks in it and those cracks line up with my hide boxes that are buried in the soil so they just okay. go straight down them yeah it took about about three months for those enclosures yeah. to be fully ready for a snake to go into them yeah so, so, look unreal. so you never see you... the snakes in them yeah. <laughs> how how do you go about kind of making sure that though that soil actually cracks perfectly above your hide box? Or did you kind of make up the soil in another box and then kind of shift pieces or something no, together? I, I put the soil so I put the hide boxes in and all the hide boxes are just like those plastic reptile hides you can buy and or I've used like the bases of pot plants and just cut holes in them, that type of thing. Yeah. yeah. And then I poured the soil over the top of it as deep as I could get it in the enclosure. Most of them were sitting at about 15 centimetres deep-ish, around about that, and then just poured water in it until it was just slurry. And what I did is then just stuck a piece of PVC pipe down to where the hides are, the holes, similar to how you do for your drainage layers in your tanks, just stuck it straight down so I knew where the bottom was and then just put... Oh, most of them I'd put, I'd put like 500 watts of heat over the top of it, just 100-watt yeah. heat globes every 10 centimetres across the top 
Yeah. And forget about it. Just walk away, leave it. And over the next week, it will sprout grass like crazy. And then <laughs> the soil will start to crack. The grass will die off because of the extreme heat. And obviously no yeah. lights for grass and grass is horrible to grow in enclosures anyway. But, mm. and then on just every, probably a week after it's done, I would pull that PVC pipe out and it'd be dry enough that it would then hold where that hole is leading into the hide. And then another couple of months, it will crack perfectly. And it just looks like it's a soil crack that leads into that, wow. into that hide. And it just looks like a little, little slab of the black soil plains in Western Queensland. Yeah, where those, where those snakes live. That. Yeah. I remember the first time I saw that enclosure, I was like, far out. I thought you might have handmade it all like you do your background. Oh, no. like, that would have taken forever. I've seen that tried before um, for, yeah. an in, for an inland type and enclosure, and it was awful. Just yeah, the yeah. snake would just constantly crap down the soil cracks. Oh. And because it was made out of, I think it was made out of resin or something, and just impossible to clean, just turned into a yeah. massive health hazard. In no time at all. So, so how do you clean yours if a snake does it in yours? Oh, with great difficulty. It um, <laughs> it it's semi bioactive. Like there is a cleanup yep. crew in there, and but there's not enough. I can't keep it wet enough to sustain like good numbers of springtails. I yep. usually spray once a week. I'll spray down one corner of the enclosure and actually tip water down one of the cracks. And like 99% of my isopods live in that soil crack and then they come out at night and drown in this water bowl most of the time. But (laughs) they do do a pretty good job of cleaning it up. It's just not quite enough. And I I clean, I spot clean what I see on the surface, but there's no doubt those snakes are shitting down those soil cracks. And when I I dug up one of the enclosures because I wanted to redo one, probably six months ago now, and there was multiple shed skins down in one of those hides. You know how wow. like, the cleanup crew chews your shed, shed skins to pieces? Yeah. But, yeah. But you could still see the remnants of like four or five shed skins down that hide. Uh, okay. Yeah. So it's not yeah. like sterile, that's for sure, but I don't want them to be sterile at the same time. Well, yeah. no, bi- no bioactive enclosure is sterile. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm just still, trying to. Yeah, like all of my enclosures, you still find bits of feces here or there that yeah, aren't being cleaned up properly. Or it doesn't concern me. I'm not someone that's super anal about like cleaning up things instantly in those enclosures. Yeah, I honestly believe if you're keeping a sterile enclosure all the time, that your animals have just got no immune system anyway. It's probably yeah, just exactly. as bad as keeping and they get more one. problems than anything else. Yeah, I had more yep. issues keeping things in plastic tubs that I cleaned every day than than I do keeping in natural enclosures. Actually, I don't have any issues keeping in natural enclosures. Yeah, I don't think I've had any issues from memory, but I, I'm obviously not keeping um, venomous snakes in them. But um, yeah, because they're crap crap machines, aren't Ooh, they? Yeah. Those, especially yeah. your, your black snakes and stuff. Yeah, I haven't. I've never kept a black snake in a natural enclosure before. Yeah, um, we keep a tiger snake in one at work, and it's horrendous. Like that, that snake will turn a one hundred gram rat into three kilos of crap in a couple of days, <laughs> and just paint it all over everything it possibly can. But it works uh, to an funny. extent. You've just got to be on top yep. of cleaning and picking up like the large pieces of 
waste that are in there. Yeah. You can't just let it all just fester or you end yeah. up yeah. with issues. That's right. So if you the majority of the stuff you keep at home, have you got all them in natural setups now? Um, probably about half now. Yep. Half's in natural. Uh, my goal is to have everything in natural enclosures. There's yeah. Five or six years ago, I had almost everything in racks. I was just a, a rack keeper. That I think everyone was back. Yeah, like stamp collecting that many more than ago. anything else. Yeah. yeah. Every color form of every brown snake there was. And, yeah, just it was silly. Yeah, I look back on it now and think how stupid it was. It's just Especially so much more. Like, like that behind you. Yeah, like, like why would you want to keep that. something in a plastic tub if you can just walk in and see a little piece of Arnhem Land in your lounge room? Exactly. I mean, I get it for like hatches and everything like that, but um, man, yeah, yeah like something like that in your lounge room, unbelievable. If any listeners, just go out and check out Matt Somerville's Instagram and you'll see exactly what we're talking about. It's, yeah, the, yeah it's amazing. The, the yeah, enclosure like, that... Sorry, sorry go. Oh, the enclosure that is behind you, like I've seen that on, on Insta and on uh, Facebook and stuff and now obviously seeing you in front of it, I actually thought it was way smaller than what yeah, it was. Every, and now everyone it's, says it's really that. Big. Anyone that's seen it in person walks in and goes, holy shit, that thing's enormous. <laughs> What's the dimensions of it? Um, it's about, it's a bit over two meters long. It's two meters tall. And it's oh, yeah. 600 deep. It's not as deep as I'd like it to be, but I couldn't yeah. get away with anything deeper because I couldn't get it through my door. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And this, the yeah. worst part is, is I know that snake's going to outgrow it yeah. and I'm going to have yeah. to build something yeah. bigger. Oh, I know that pain all too well. Even yeah. like I've just been messaging you guys this afternoon about the Boyd's enclosure that I've got on the way and I'm even building it, putting all the foam in and going, you know what, I think these things are going to outgrow this as well. <laughs> so it might How, big that having to be... How big is that Boyd's enclosure? Uh, so it's one meter long, yep. 600 deep, 1100 high. That's still pretty decent. You'll lose them in it, there still. Yeah. but like, It's amazing I, I how well they disappear in an enclosure. Oh, yeah. well, I thought I lost one and I'm like, the, the enclosure's not open and I've only got them in a smaller one at the moment just so they get used to it. I'm looking at the side and going, where the flip is it? I could, I could not see. It took me five minutes to find it, pulling all the plants out, and then I found it. <laughs> it really oh, shows man. why people walk straight past them in the wild and don't even know they're oh, there. Yeah. Oh. Same with the angleheads. Like, I know they're in the bush up near my place. I've never seen one. Yeah, and it's got to look for those little, I've walked little knees sticking it. out the side. Yeah. yeah. I can guarantee <laughs> I've walked straight past it. Yeah. So, But mine's pretty much the same size as Luke's, but I think mine's a bit taller and a bit 100 mil narrower, I think. I like All right. A bit more height, but yeah, it's the same leaderage. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, decent sized boxes, but yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I want to push everything that little bit further. Like, I'm kind of looking at it now going, well, you know, one day I think you're going to turn into a green tree python setup or maybe even some like, um, you know, northern leaftail geckos or something like that yeah. in there, which is a big setup for them. But, you yeah, know, but if I get the space, better. I want to. Yeah, exactly. Mm. If I, yeah, if I get you can the make space, it look I like want to a, do everything big. Yeah, once it's bigger, you can just make it look like a nice little slice of their actual habitat. You're not yeah, trying to exactly. cram a whole heap of branches and stuff into this tiny little enclosure. Yeah, a lot of the time. Well, that's pretty much what I'm going for now as well. Basically, limited number of animals. Yeah, and well, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm just running out of room in my house. <laughs> and every <laughs> wall's got size, an enclosure yeah. or a fish tank on it now. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I've never got into fish tanks, so I'm God, quite lucky there. They're a dangerous hobby as well. Oh, I they're almost did. I was expensive and a lot, so more, close. a lot more work than reptiles. I was yeah. so close, but yeah, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. So, oh, I, I'm, I'm unfortunately, uh, I, I got into my current job at a reptile slash aquarium shop, and that was just dangerous because yeah, I was, I was into aquariums beforehand, but now I've got a reef tank in the bedroom. You know, like there's. Yeah, corals and marine fish and all that sort of thing that gets real expensive real yeah, quick. Yeah, I did. I did the marine thing like when I was a teenager, like when I first started out keeping fish, and never again, never. <laughs> it's so expensive. It's so much work. I just stick with freshwater now. And yeah, I got out of it for a few years, and then sort of got back into it fairly recently, and just now I've got an next to me an eight by two by two and a half foot tank with yeah a whole bunch of natives swimming around in it that doesn't happen to be the same fish tank that you guys have been building on your youtube channel no no this one's huge compared to that that's christy's tank that one yeah she's made she's finished it now yeah it looks unreal like it's one of the best fish tanks i've ever seen that that was such a unique process that you that um Christy did on that background. I'd never even considered doing that sort of like sand over expanded yeah, foam with she, the pebbles and things. She's done it a few times before and it works really well. Like she's got a Stimson's Python enclosure that's done the same way. And it just looks literally looks like like a bank, like a dirt bank with tree roots growing out of it. Wow. And it's yeah, just right. done that same way with plants and stuff climbing up it. It's really, that's really awesome. good. Yeah. I'll have to check that video out. I've watched one of the other videos you've got on there, but I don't think I've yeah, seen I think there's only there's part one out at the moment. She's still working on part two. Yeah. Takes a bit of time putting those videos together. That's yeah, sure. and I don't, I don't help at all, so <laughs> <laughs> it's all on her. Yeah. So for those of you out there, make sure you go and check out The Natural Herp Keeper on YouTube as well to watch Christy's handiwork and Matt doing nothing. So. Yep. <laughs> But she, she's got some awesome videos up there on how to do some DIY backgrounds and bits and pieces and, uh, yeah, a bit of a look into some pretty unique animals in the Australian reptile hobby as well. Yeah. well I have to say that most recent photo that you guys put up on your page of your new Kimberley rock monitor tank, that was, for me, I, was, I saw that and I was like, oh, that is such a piece of art, especially with that. I root. did the same thing. Yeah. It's got this beautiful kind of like tree trunk that's coming up or, you know, sort of like buttress root system that's coming out of the ground in it. And, yeah, you're definitely spoiled for choice when it comes to hardscape up your oh, way. definitely. I'm obsessed with those Kimberley-style enclosures as well with that dark rock work with the tree roots coming down. Ever since I went yeah. to the Kimberley, that's all I wanted, just different Kimberley enclosures and stuff. And I just knocked, I knocked that one together. I started it months ago and just got slack yeah. as I do. And then that Kimbo just sort of landed on my doorstep and like it come up for sale and I've needed a mail for a long time. I was like, stuff it, mm. I'm just going to buy it. And then it arrived and it was smaller than I thought it was going to be because I planned on just chucking it. I planned on just chucking it in with my girls. And when I got it out of the tub, I was like, I just went, oh shit, this thing's going to get eaten if I put it in there. <laughs> so over my weekend, I just slaved away and not, got that enclosure up and running so I could get that thing into there. Instead of yeah. having it, in, I had it in another exoterra with just a stack of pavers in there to start with. Yep. 
Yeah. Because you originally built it for some um, fringe toad velvet. Yeah, that's why. I, that's what I started it for, and I still yeah. built it for them because I've just got them. They're living in like plastic tubs. They're still young at the moment, just basic yeah. setups. But that's where I want to put at least a pair at some point down the yeah. track once this Kimbo grows up a little bit more, which they'd probably be my does. favorite velvets. Oh, me too. There's something I wanted for yeah. years and years, and they're so hard to come by. I've been hassling Rick for a while for them, yeah. and then yeah. finally said, "Yeah, all right, I've got some for you." Ah, good. Yeah, I'll so you jumped on, mine on. Yeah, spewing and move mine on. Especially when you Get see something stuff. like, like what Matt made. With that. Yeah. When you post it, I'm like, oh, I've got. I, I found one of those ex, the exact size exoterra in my storage shed the other day, and I'm like. <laughs> And then you posted that picture. I was like, oh, I could yeah. have done that. I can't wait to see them yeah. cover that rock work in Ojura shit. Yeah. Oh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> they're not as bad, though, I don't think. As no, I've noticed they're way week. cleaner, even in the tubs. Like, I haven't kept many velvets before, just like Castle Nui and um, Marmorata. That's pretty much it. And they're just shocking. Your whole glass just yep. ends up urates. Yeah. Yeah, whereas these things sort of keep it all contained at one spot. A lot of the time. It's not too bad. And it's yeah. usually just in yeah. one little patch of rocks and that's it. Yeah. Lucky. Nah, the, the other <laughs> ones just are all over the glass. I remember yeah, as soon as I got them. They're I shocking. Like cleaning. I was like, oh, pain in the butt. Yeah. But um, yeah, they're not too bad, the French toes. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's weird. I don't know. They just don't seem to crap on the glass as much. I've as noticed as well. So. I don't know if it's just mine, but they're not ravenous feeders either like other Ajura are. Like mine. Yeah. They don't seem – they eat. Like they eat well and they're growing quick, but they're not these crazy psychos that just smash every cricket that goes past them. They're like real and slow. And every other gecko that goes past them as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I'll have to worry about them smashing each other and all that sort of stuff. No, I, my others, they'd smash each other every time. So I you got ke- to the point where I was just going to keep them separate. Yeah. But, Did you um, keep Felicipoda yeah. together? Yes. Yep. Yeah, and no dramas at all. Yeah, no dramas at all. Excellent. Nothing. I That's don't I think I ever saw. I never saw. I don't think I ever saw them bite each other at all. Mistaken yeah. it for food, Good. but with a Castanawi, every time you fed, one yeah. would have a foot in its mouth, the other one would have a tail <laughs> in its mouth, and then that one would be biting its foot, then it'd bite its tail. Like yeah, yeah. Well, every they time growl at each other the whole time. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And, and squeak and it's like you let go first. No, you let go first. <laughs> But yeah, no, nah, the, the Philosopher never did it. Never, yeah, I don't think I ever saw it once. Excellent. But, um, Rick might have seen it because I think he's got a couple, but yeah, I don't think I ever, no, I never saw it. So, but that in that enclosure, that's a good size enclosure for him, too. Yeah, so. that's a 900 by 600 XO. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. So, but, um, but how big do they end up? Because they're one of the, they are the biggest filbert, aren't they? Yeah, I'm pretty sure they are. They are yeah. 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 I've I've never seen an adult in person. I don't I know how big they get. I've never seen a wild one or anything. Tried, 12, but... 12 centimetres or so, I think. Yeah, that's a pretty big velvet around gecko. That. Is that snout to, snout to vent or snout to tail? Snout to tail. Like So snout to vent, they're probably eight centimetres maybe. Oh, no, They've got a pretty big that. tail on them. Yeah, the tail's really fat and mm. long. Um yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, they're pretty big. Like all up there, they're definitely the biggest. But um, they're not like leaf tail size, though. No, no, definitely <laughs> not like the a cornumus or a salabrosus. No, they're probably more on par with a swainy. Oh yeah, 
a little, little bit overall shorter length than a Swainy, I reckon. Yeah, right. That's still a good size um, gecko. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the corner just are huge. Oh, yeah. Monsters. You're up so in you're, their territory, aren't you? Yeah, they're Roughly. common as around here. Yeah. yeah not, so, not so much in lowland cans, but once you yep. start heading up high altitude, you do get them in the lowlands occasionally, but once you get higher, yep. you start to see a lot more. Like the same with Boyd's and chameleon geckos. They just don't like the high temperatures down here. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to see them in the wild, to photograph them. Come up, like, I'll show you. I have to, yeah. I think we yeah, might have to make a They're easy, there, easy to find. There, they're really common. I we might have to do that. Do a road trip like over yeah. a couple of days, like yeah. four or five days or something, go up, do some herping, come back, maybe even a week, I reckon. Do you guys get like an off season for herping up there as such? Yeah. Um, winter's our off season, but yeah. you still see snakes like overnight and stuff. You can still see snakes out here if you go for a drive or anything, just not the numbers that you do during the wet season. Once we yeah. get into the start of spring and it starts getting like the end of the dry, it's get like it gets really dry and it's it's crap mm. at that time of year. You don't really see anything. Then once the rains start just after Christmas, that's when things really pick up again. But yeah. you see, you can see those geckos nearly all year round. They they sort of disappear a little bit in winter and the mm. corners are higher up the trees, but you can still get them. Yeah. yeah. Once, once you know where to look, they're easy. That's right. definitely something that you seem to uh, be pretty capable of is finding some of these really incredible species around Australia. <laughs> no, no, one's, wrong. no one sees the hours that go into it. Oh, yeah, no that's true. They just see the pictures. Yeah. Yeah. No one ever thinks about the hours that go into it. No. I the mean, blood, I want the spot not, and the tears. Oh, definitely the tears on my behalf with Gil and I in the centre, <laughs> that's for sure. I had to drag my wife around that whole trip as well. So that was like, <laughs> not only was I trying to find these things, but I was also trying to convince her that it's a good idea to go and find these lizards yeah, in the tree. Yeah, which is but, hard you know. for someone that's not into reptiles. Yeah. yeah. I'm, lucky, I'm yeah. lucky my partner's just as obsessed with herping as I am. Oh, that's good. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Makes it very so, easy. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you've almost nailed all pyth- all Australian pythons in the world? I, I had until Imbricata became a species. <laughs> yeah. I've seen all That's of them impressive. except for Imbricata and I've seen all the carpet subspecies except for Imbricata in Australia. Wow. Yeah. I've tried. I've tried for Imbricata once. I got The closest I got was a twitching roadkill. Oh. Yeah. And um, I tried to go back at the start of the year to look for them again, but COVID put a dampener on that. And I wasn't allowed into Western Australia. I yeah, closed the border sucks. a couple of days before the trip. Oh, you kidding? Yeah. So went to South Australia instead. Got a dead yeah. Imbricata there too <laughs> on the Nullarbor, but it it was long dead. Yeah. That's yeah. So hopefully, hopefully next year I can tick that one off. That, that's all. such like uh, people wouldn't be able to fathom or some people might not be able to fathom how much of a feat that is to get so many species. Like that is such a wide range of places that you've had to hurt. It's, let alone it's the, like every corner of the country. It yeah, is. It's a, it's a lot of kilometers, a lot of walking, a lot of money. A lot of research. Yeah. A lot of research. Yeah. It's, and it's time. An obsession. 
Yeah. So you've seen wide on Pellies? Yeah, I've seen one. Yeah, one Owen Pelly. Um, it was a fair few years ago now. Two, oh, 2018, I think it was. Yeah. Actually, my it was my 30th birthday, actually. Oh, how good is I that? went up there for my 30th to do an Owen Pelly trip and got one. Yeah, wow. which was awesome. Good 30th birthday present. That was, that was my yeah. sixth trip to look for them. Jeez. Oh, and yeah. I don't know if you've been there, like to that East Arnhem Escarpment. Oh, sorry, the no, West Arnhem Escarpment there. and then like, the edge, like that western edge of Kakadu, walking through that escarpment, yeah. it's it's hell. Like it's <laughs> so hot and just humid, and you just your clothes are soaked the whole time. Lots of rock climbing. Yeah, so you've seen wild roughies too. Yeah, yeah, Fine. yeah. That was no, my roughies that. were my last one before Imbricata became a thing. Imbricata. Yeah, so I did a Kimberley trip, Man. Um, 2019, specifically yep. to target roughies. Yeah. And saw two actually while I was there. Oh wow! Mm. Bonus. Yeah, that was that was an awesome trip to see them in the wild was unreal. Like it's a really hard place to get to. It's like one of those mm. spots where once you're there, you're just like, I don't want to have to do this again. I don't want to come back <laughs> because the drive is just. It's one of the worst roads I've ever been on in my life. Mm. And Jeez. we we went to two different spots. Like we went into Prince Regent National Park, which you actually can't do anymore. It's where we went. It's actually closed now. It was the last year that you could get in. And yeah. so that's about a 150 to 160 kilometer drive off the main Gibb River Road. And the Gibb and River Road's shocking. It's shit. And then this thing is just a goat track through the bush and you're following GPS coordinates to get there. So just turn here, turn there, and you're in first or second gear the whole way. So it took... Took about seven hours to do the drive in and lots of rock hopping and on two wheels and crossing creeks. And we got there and we went in winter, which probably wasn't the best idea, but you can't access it at a lot of other times. And yeah. the first night we're in there, it was seven degrees. I was like, oh, this is gonna Man. be hot. this is gonna be horrible. And I didn't see a single reptile the first night that we got there. And I was disheartened and sort of just down about it all and the second night we went cruising around and i saw a brown snake from a distance and freaked out and went over and it was a children's python <laughs> <laughs> pretty much wanted to kick it off the escarpment oh, <laughs> uh. but then like 10 minutes later i was actually walking back along the edge of the escarpment and found like a juvenile ruffy sitting in ambush on the edge of the rocks like yeah, in like position. cold temperatures, it was it was thirteen degrees when I found that snake, and it was wow. out looking for food. Man, that's crazy. Yeah, people was... don't realize how tolerant they are as a species. You know, like even though they come from those tropical areas, I've definitely noticed my roughies at home. Like my garage gets so cold; like it'll get down to you know seven, eight degrees during the winter. And they still sit out and they'll be perched off of a branch like waiting for food. Yeah, going, they, don't, they don't seem to care at all. And I don't yeah. think people realize just how cold it gets in a lot of these tropical areas. Oh, definitely. Like when we were up in that Prince Regent area talking to a local that was up there, like they said they've had years where it's got to zero in winter and yeah. like wow. water in buckets is frozen and that type of thing. And there's roughies living there. So they can and obviously the handle some it's high like 50 degrees. Yeah. Yeah, even in winter, it was still getting to like 33, 34 during the day. Yeah. 
and still fairly humid, like it's too hot to be doing anything. But I, yeah. I, st- I went up to the escarpment the next day and actually found that same ruffy again in a crevice during the wow. day, only two metres from where we'd seen it the night before. Yeah. Yeah, which was cool. So are you camping? When you do that, are you sleeping like pretty much wherever? Or are yeah, you driving oh, back out? Sleep wherever. Because it'd be yeah. really too long, yeah. Sleep in a swag most of the time. Yeah. Um, Man, that'd be yeah, nice. which is good. Sleep in a swag. I've done a few nights sleeping just on the ground, which is I'm too old for that now. But I used to be able to do it a lot better <laughs> when I was younger. Yeah. Just, yeah. Put a sheet over yourself or a sleeping bag and, yeah, sleep wherever you are. Under the stars. Had a few what nights where I've gotten, over gotten a bit lost and thought I'd had to sleep out there. <laughs> <laughs> I could imagine because it'd be um, if there's no moon, it'd be pitch black out there. Oh yeah, there's nothing out there. And when you're walking like through, you wouldn't rock be able to see your hand in front of your face. Yeah, when you're walking through rock escarpments, everything looks the same. Mm. Especially when you've done multiple bush, circles too. looking for reptiles, you're not even looking up most of the time. You're looking down and looking up, or you're looking up trees, but mostly you're looking down. And in rock crevices, mm. and all of a sudden you don't know where you are. Yeah, yeah. I've made a ha- made a habit now of always GPSing the the car, so that I can find idea. my way back. Are you using your iPhone for GPS, or have you actually got a handheld GPS? Unit? My my iPhone. Yeah, I don't have yeah. a handheld GPS. I should probably get one. But yeah, yeah, because your GPS still works even if you don't have signal, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. You can get yeah. certain apps that it works on. Um, Google Maps. Yeah. Is- doesn't do it for you at all. It'll give you the direction you need to head in, but that's about it. Yeah, which I've had to use before yeah, as well. Okay. Just follow the arrow and hope you end up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Did, when he, when Luke said he'd seen all the species of python, it didn't click. I just thought carpet python, and I was like, <laughs> oh yeah. And then I was like, and then it clicked. I'm like, hang on, no, he said python. Yeah, man, that's I was, insane. I was determined. I wanted to see every snake in Australia. That was my yeah. thing I wanted to do, and now I just want to see every reptile, which is probably <laughs> an impossible feat. But yeah, you out all the time. Yeah, what is there like twelve hundred and something species in Australia? Just a couple. I think so. Yeah, yeah I think it's nearly, closer to thirteen hundred. Nearly now, seen oh, just under six hundred species now. Far not not that I'm counting, but <laughs> yeah. Far but there's there's fellas out there that have seen eight hundred plus as well like that's serious dedication so are you planning if you're going to do a trip are you planning your target species yeah yeah i always um, do a trip and all that usually based around one major species yeah and then everything else is sort of just a bonus around there but once i get that main species then i'll hit a second species and try and try and track it down as well and yeah it, it often works you've just got to be really really keen about doing it and Willing to put in the man hours a lot of the time. There's yeah. a lot of yeah, a lot of late nights and early mornings to try and get things. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's a lot of dedication. I mean, when we were out in in Alice, it was, I mean, I was starting herping probably about eight thirty nine o'clock at night, going to maybe like midnight, just after midnight. Then I was up again like you know five five thirty the next morning to try to find the diurnal stuff out for the first couple yeah. of hours of the day. you have to do that out there where it's that hot all the time oh man i did that for did that for eight or nine days i can't even remember how long i was there for i was so wiped by the time i got yeah, home it's not easy going either through. is it like it's hard going yeah. terrain when you're out there everything's yeah. hot everything wants to stab you 
It's just you got five five thousand flies in your well, face every day. They're every the worst moment. part. Of Central, <laughs> Central Australia is amazing, but those flies they they do your head in. Yeah, my wife. You watch the locals out there; they don't even blink. No, the locals just lick them off their faces most of the time. Yeah, they just blink <laughs> them in their yeah, eyes. Yeah, a bit of extra just, protein yeah, and all they go. Yeah, they are intense. That's for sure. Yeah, but I suppose what's your next trip. Um, I'm actually going up the Cape, up Cape York next week. Oh, the backyard. What's your target? Yeah. Um, my target is a small skink that I haven't seen, uh, a Moya longer quarter, which is I think they're called like long-tail skinks or long-whip-tail skinks or something like that. They're a species that's mm-hmm. in New Guinea and then top of Cape York. I can't find them up there. I've tried multiple times, but I've got a friend coming up. Um, Jake Meany from down your way, yep. and he's never been up there before. His target's green pythons, like anyone that goes up there. Yeah. So that's what we'll be doing. We'll be targeting greens probably the first night, tick them off, and then canopy monitors. And I'd I'd love yeah. to see a Dorianus, a blue-tailed monitor. That'd that's another sick. one I haven't seen. Um, I've seen Indicus up there before, but I've never got photos of them. So yeah. That'd be good as well. I could just hear Scott jumping out of his skin there going, it's Chlorostigma. Oh, I hate that name and I refuse to use it. <laughs> sounds like a disease. It does actually. Yeah. yeah. It sounds bit, almost yeah. like chlamydia. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but yeah, the plan funny. is to just go up there and have some fun, find some reptiles, yeah. um, just do a trip. And yeah, um, I think Christy's coming as well. I think we're going to try and make a YouTube video of it as well. Oh, beautiful. Awesome. Yeah, she'll be more motivated than me. I'm, <laughs> I'm too scared to get in front of the camera. I'm the same, eh? I've, I've always thought about doing a YouTube channel, but I, I couldn't do it. This is all right because they don't, can't see your face. They can yeah. just hear your voice. And because we're chatting with each other, I kind of forget that people are listening. So it's just basically a conversation between guys. Like, Yeah, it makes it a lot easier. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. But, well, like what Luke does, I could not do that where my face is on camera and i got to like, Cut no, you've really, you've really just, got to put oh, yourself out there to do that. 100%. 100%. Yeah. I'm too shy. It's pretty daunting. Same, same. Yeah. I have to say, you guys have been killing it on the YouTube video. You guys have got, what, seven videos up? <laughs> it's crazy, 12, isn't it? 1,200 subscribers. Do you yeah. want to know how many videos it took for me to get to that point? Tell me. <laughs> I think it was about 95. Oh, really? Yep. It, it, it was up. like a serious amount. It blew up from that bearded dragon video that Christy did. The very guys first video that went up, it, that thing's yeah. got like 40,000 views on it. Yeah. It's because I think I know a lot of Americans like are obsessed with natural backgrounds yeah. and they're obsessed yeah, like with bearded dragons. It got dragon, such a so. positive response, that video. And like, yeah. it's an awesome enclosure. She did an unreal job with that. Yeah. Like, it looks yeah. so good. It looks really good. Yeah. I think it just pushed like YouTube enclosure building just to another level a little bit yeah just trying different things she's always trying something different which is good yeah yeah i remember i remember sitting down and watching that for the first time and going who, who the hell are these guys like you know just <laughs> came out so out of left field i didn't know you know christy from a bar of soap whatsoever i still don't actually know her but you know and since then i was like man these guys are just pushing that envelope just that little she, bit she's further, been little doing bit it for a long time like building enclosures and that that's that's who taught me 
how to build enclosures yep. and yeah. how to do like mock rock work and that sort of stuff. She'd been doing it in zoos for a while of years and years and just always trying new things. Obviously, in a zoo, you've got to always make things bigger and better and yep. Yep. make it look natural because public are looking at it all the time. So she was doing yeah. that and then she's she was talking about doing some YouTube videos. She'd been hit up by a few people of how you do things and she thought, eh, I'll just I'll give it yeah. a go, see if it works, what's what's the harm in it. Yeah, and it yeah I just stumbled across it. Yeah, I stumbled mm. across your channel. I can't remember what I was doing. I must have been looking for – I think I might have been watching some of Luke's videos because that was like before I thought of getting back into it. I'm like, oh, I wouldn't mind doing a big enclosure just for green tree pythons. I'm like, oh, I'll just have a look at some backgrounds and then – I saw that pop up and I clicked on it. I was I was blown away. I was like far out, and then I was like, "Yeah, I'm not even going to try and make one now." <laughs> <laughs> it's not the way you meant. It's meant to encourage people to try. Yeah, it did. Then <laughs> I was like, "Oh man, I but see, I'm just the person that's like, oh, I can't make mine look that good." So, oh, you should oh. see some of my first enclosures. That will photos would never see the light of day. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like someone just put some sheets of concrete in the enclosure, and it looks like shelves. Yeah, oh, slurry, man. slurry of concrete all over the place, <laughs> and grout and paint yeah. and brush strokes through everything everywhere. Yeah. Uh, while we're talking about why what you're using to make these enclosures, I have to ask: How do you guys find that the the grout and the concrete holds up for you? Do you guys get any sort of cracking effect um, or anything with it? No. If you mix it right, it doesn't crack. I have I've yeah. cracked things in the past, but I kind of know how to mix it now. I think a lot of yep. people mix it way too wet and it just it doesn't dry properly or they do multiple coats in quick succession. Like I don't do a coat every day. I'll do yep. a coat and then leave it three or four days and then another coat and three or four days, that type of thing. And it gives each coat a chance to actually set. Yep. I think people get too carried yep. away and do too many coats in quick succession and it just it can't handle it. And then you move your enclosure and that little bit shift makes like little stress fractures through the whole yep. thing. And I've, I've never had grout crack since I've started mixing it. I kind of make it, oh, what's the best way to describe it? Maybe a little bit thicker than toothpaste. Yeah, okay. Yep. And it, it's fine. Like I've never had any issues. In saying that though, I do a lot of coats too. I don't, I'm not a two or three coat person. It's like six coats a lot of the time. Yeah. Like that enclosure behind me, that Owen Pelly one, that's six coats over the whole thing. There's like nearly 200 kilos of grout in that enclosure. Oh, man. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot. I didn't want it to break and fall apart. Yeah. I wanted it to be able to handle a heavy-bodied snake and not crack. Yeah. Yeah. And concrete, yeah. I've never had concrete crack on me ever. If you use proper reinforcement with concrete, it won't crack. You need to use wire a lot of the time. Don't just slap concrete over the top of foam. It'll yep. it'll fall apart eventually. You need to use chicken wire mm. in it. I'll, I'll put foam down and then I'll um, staple chicken wire all over the top of it and then concrete over the top of the chicken wire. And it's almost like you know when they pour a slab and it's got Rio bar through it. Yep, It's similar yeah. to that. It just gives it strength and it holds together it really well. Sense. And as long as you mix it properly, don't use tons of sand so it just all falls apart over time. Yeah, I think mix ratios are really important if you want things to hold up long term. Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, I've only made one thing that was kind of like cement based, and they were some. This is going back a while now, but there were some termite mounds that I'd, I'd done, and I did do yeah, them very those. quick. Yeah, yeah. 
And they ended up cracking. I didn't mind because it was like it was kind of a nice effect to it. You know, they were they were pretty cheap and easy to make. So if I had to bin them, I had to bin them. But at the same time, ever since then, I was like, oh, I was just so nervous to use like grout or cement products or anything like that. So that's why I've kind of gone the tile pointing method. Yeah. So you've never done grout on a background before? Just always tile never. pointing? Well, yeah, yeah so I've only just started recently. Yeah, I've, doing I've those never things. used tile pointing. I've, I yeah. haven't tried it. I'd like to give it a go. I think it would be fun, like, you know, just do it in a small terrarium or something like that, just as a bit of a yeah, experiment. Yeah, I, wasn't, I wasn't sure how well it would hold up to monitors a lot of the time, especially yeah. large, not so much smaller monitors, but a little bit larger things. Big yeah, claws. like think, things like Gil and I and Tristus and that, I wouldn't be worried about them whatsoever. Yeah. Um, I was half considering making something for my mangrove monitor, but at the same time, I was like, oh, I just don't want to put in all that effort for such a big enclosure only for him to to tear it all apart and, yeah. and get through it. So um, the, the, the thing that I do really like about it as a product, though, is it seems to almost have like really good elasticity to it. Yeah, so it's like not going to crack. A, yeah, it's got a bit of a bend to it, like almost like a bit of a rubberized texture in amongst yeah. the... The, the context of it but it's like even one of my enclosures that do have tristus in it i've got a basking spot on there that's probably sitting at about 60 degrees and there's like no cracking or anything on that's that spot where it's like well. cooking all day so yeah the other yeah. thing i wasn't so sure about it, like a lot of the tile pointing enclosures i'd seen just posted around on social media and that you could always see the brush strokes in it which is like a pet peeve of mine Yep. And you can see brush stroke brush strokes through the rock work, but I didn't know if that's just how those people are doing it. Like they're not putting a lot of effort into smoothing all that sort of stuff out, so it looks a bit more rock like. Not that's like me being lazy. <laughs> I wasn't pointing at you. But... <laughs> that's all right. I'll take it. I'll take it. I <laughs> but I've just seen yeah, that. No. But I haven't tried it for myself, so I don't know what yeah. it's like if you actually put in the work. Like grout has brush strokes through it everywhere. You got to like pretty much buff them out to get yeah. rid of it all. Yeah. Wait mm. till it's nearly dry and then rub your hands over the whole thing to try and get rid of all those, yeah, where you can see someone's rubbed a brush through it. Well, one of my mates, he's doing it really, really well at the moment. Um, Cam, he's got a, he's just started up a YouTube channel yeah, called Cam Custom Backgrounds. Yeah. His stuff, like especially when you've got it in your hand, it's really well done. Like I think what he does is he does a similar thing to to what Christy and yourself, I believe, do, where you almost wait for it to like pretty much be dry and then you go yeah, over I it. Yeah, I think Cam has spoken to Christy about it a fair bit about her techniques. And yeah, I believe yeah, so. I don't know. Maybe he's taken on a few of those things. I'm sure some of it's his own as well. But yeah, and the more people do it, the better they get at it as well. Yeah, exactly. The only way to get better at it is to just keep doing it over and over again. You, you build an enclosure and you're proud of it and then 12 months later you look at it and go, that's shit, and try something yeah. else. <laughs> I'm already yeah. looking at some of my stuff going, that's horrible. Why did I do that? That rock design's crap or whatever, you know, like it's just one of those things where your OCD just gets to that next I've, level. And I've redone the rock work in my Kimberly rock monitor enclosure, like my adult Kimbos, three times now. Wow. But I'll do it and then I'll it'll sit for two years and then I'll go, I hate it. And then I'll rip it all out and redo another one and then go, no, nah, it doesn't look natural enough. And then I've just yeah. recently in the last couple of months just done a new one again and I'm, I'm happy with it so far. But that Did could, you film that it? Yeah, that'll be <laughs> I did not film it. <laughs> no, I didn't film it. I said, I'm slack. So I don't know how you film things constantly as well. I'll start, <laughs> I'll start the film and I'll get 
30 minutes into it and then forget to film a huge section or just forget the cameras on or forget to turn the camera on and then go, no, this takes longer than it needs to and then just scrap yep. Yep. it all together and then get in trouble from Christy because I didn't film it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just try to for those kind of build videos. I just try try to remember to stick the tripod on and just time lapse it on my phone. So I'm yeah. just like, well, I can work at my own pace or whatever like that and it, all of a sudden it's compressed into 30 seconds so it looks like I'm doing something real quick. <laughs> but, yeah, I know what you mean. Like even just building this Boyd's enclosure this afternoon, like a whole bunch of like the foam carving and stuff that I was doing. I was like, I just didn't film like the last 20 minutes of doing this. Damn it. You know, like there's just a segment that's just missed out on. But, you know, people get the gist, I think, at the end of yeah. the day. Like it's kind of cool watching people be creative and different ideas out yeah, there. Yeah, it just so. it amazes me though, like even from comments on the videos, what people actually want to see. Like things that I think are really boring and just mundane, someone wants to see you mixing the grout and mixing the soil together to see what it's actually involved and it's stuff that i just completely looked over the top of like it's yep. amazing how many messages i get on instagram like asking what soil i use in enclosures and what the exact ratios that i use to get plants to grow i was like i don't know i just mix some I dirt mix together. together throw some potting yeah, soil and doing. some peat and some sphagnum and some charcoal and some sand and plants grow yeah, that's exactly what I do. Yeah, I, I don't, don't have any ratios. ratios. Like... I just pour it all into a bin and mix it together. Yeah, yeah. you get it, and you go, "That looks about right." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. if the plant grows, like, good. If it drains too much, you've got too much sand. Just add something else in there, like. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those things. Yeah, I've never put that much thought and, into um, it. Yeah, what sort of camera setup are you using when you're herping? Um, I use a Nikon, Nikon D610 body yep. with, I've got a Nikon, a Nikkor 60 mil macro and a 24 to 70 mil. That's just my all rounder lens. And then I've got a yep. 400 mil, um, like telephoto lens as well. And I use like a, can't remember the name of the brand, but it's a soft box over the top for like macro photography and that sort of thing, just to get nice lighting. I used to use twin flashes on either side, but I actually broke my flash bracket and yep. couldn't get another one without getting it from the US and the freight was like twice the cost of the actual bracket. So I couldn't, so I couldn't, I couldn't justify brackets. it. But I, I got given one recently, a secondhand one, but I just yep. I like the lighting from the, the softbox. It's just yeah, it's it's more nice annoying. Is to that just photos. one of the gel ones? It's... Oh, it's like a big umbrella. Or, or it's fairly it like decent. Oh, okay, it's probably yep. 40 centimetres across. It's big yep. enough to be annoying that it blocks out your head torch <laughs> when you're trying to take photos yeah. at night. So often you've got to harass someone else and say, can you hold a torch on this thing while I take a photo of it? It's not yep. the way to make friends when you're herping. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants to stand there and hold your camera gear for you. Yeah, because oh, that's man. something I've got to want to start playing around with is lighting. Like, because um, I know years ago, you see everyone used to use the dual flashes on the brackets. Yeah, that was all the go now. Find those brackets. Yeah. yeah. Or they do three that have the one on the top. Yeah, I've never done that. I've always just had my on, like the on camera flash on top, just set really low. And then it sets off yeah. the two on the, on the brackets on either side. So you've got three flashes, yeah. but mainly two major flashes. Yeah. I was still struggling yeah. as well with like harsh shadows. Like it almost throw. If yeah. you didn't have the exact same amount of lighting, or your torch was coming from a certain angle, it'd like almost throw get that shadow like cross shadows across the animal. 
or it would look like the thing was made out of play-doh it'd make the animal look so <laughs> so fake and I, I didn't like that look so yeah, yeah I, knew, I, I think that's probably one of the hardest things yeah i saw a few people for... using these these um umbrella flashes and i was like oh, i'll give it a go and i like it i yeah. like the lighting it comes out i don't take photos as yeah. much as what i used to i'm pretty pretty lazy with it now i used to photograph yeah. most things now it has to be something pretty special for me to get my camera out a lot of the time yeah, so that'll be me it's just it's, a, it's a burden to take photos <laughs> yeah i'd recommend most people don't get into herp photography yeah you find it's, an animal so you cr- find an animal and you're all excited about finding it and you're like oh now i've got to photograph this thing and you're not reptiles are like they don't behave and it's just no. and then within five minutes you're just like, i hate this thing just just sit still yeah. if only you sat still this would all be over yeah, so and now I at the stage as well where I see it, you're stressing out the animal a lot of the time as well. So the flash, yeah, flash and just grabbing things and yeah, this thing's scared and trying to run away from you a lot of the time. Mm. I much prefer, like, I much more respect a good in situ photo from someone than I do like a nicely posed, like it could be an amazing photo of a monitor posed with an incredible background, and I like that, but. If I can see that its tail's been curled around and all its toes are perfect, you know it's been posed there. It's not how animals sit. Mm. Um, yeah. But if it's sitting up on the rocks, laying flat, basking, that's that to me. That's a better photo. And there's more, more skill. Natural. There's more skill involved in taking something in situ and getting close enough to that animal to actually gain its trust that it's not scared enough that it's going to run away from you as soon as it sees you. Yeah. But in saying all of that, I still. I still pose animals. I'm pretty sure every herp photographer poses animals, especially yeah, if it's something yeah. special that you haven't seen before. And you want to get that nice Yeah, shot. I just like having a nice photo that can add to the collection of what I've seen. It's like a catalogue. thing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And if it gets used in a book, that's awesome as well. That's always a nice yeah, thing exactly. to happen. Someone contacts you and say, can I use this photo? I'm happy to let people use photos. All the time, I don't do anything with yeah, them, so they may as well go shots. somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Are you going to say something before Luke? Oh, I was just going to going to kind of touch on the fact that, like, I try, I, I wanted to get into herp photography. I kind of bought some gear, started to kind of get into it, and learning how to use a camera. And by the time I was, you know, sitting down with a bunch of animals trying to take photos of them, I just got frustrated. I was just like, you exactly. know what, this is just like, yeah, if you this just is go, just it's a not waste for me. of time. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's absolutely. really, really frustrating and you find yourself actually getting angry yeah. while mm. at the animal or at the situation. Just, I just want this photo. And then you yeah. take your photos back and look at them on the computer later and they're all crap anyway. You're like, oh, what yeah. was it? You what don't was have it that for? shot. Yeah. Now, yeah. now I go out with my mates and... You know, I see them like stressing out about where their soft boxes are, and I'm just standing there, like you know, with a, one of their soft boxes in my hand, going, "Yeah, whatever, dude." Like, I'll, oh, I'll it's, point it's so nice like- now. Like when I go out with people, and like they're into photography as well, and they're like, "Oh, it's a such and such," and they're taking these photos, and I just walk over and take a phone photo and walk away and go, "Done, that's perfect. Yep. <laughs> I'm happy with that." Yep. Yep. Yeah. I'm exact same now. I, I just like looking at the animal with my own eyes too, you know, yeah. when you're looking through a lens or whatever. It's just like, well, you're kind of losing out on what it's doing. Exactly. You're focusing you more on getting that, that photo. Yeah. Cat, cat trying to break into the room here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't hear it. I can't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> He's scratching like mad. Yeah, yeah, I'm always curious to see what people's lighting setups are. Like, 
because obviously I I did land I did I used to landscape stuff, so I never used flashes or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, it's very but, very um, different style of photography. Yeah, seeing everyone seems to be going towards those soft boxes. Yeah, now. have you seen the the uh, what are they called Cygnus Cygnus Tech? Soft oh, I actually messaged that guy They're, on Instagram. I've got. I haven't used back. them, but I've seen people use them, and those the lighting from them is incredible. And I'm pretty sure he just yeah, makes them. I've, yeah, custom. Yeah, so, they just custom oh, he made. Like he asks you what your camera gear is, uh, what your and what lens and everything. Yeah, and he makes them custom to suit that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what they're worth them, or anything, but some of the light, some of the lighting I've seen from them is really, really nice. Yeah, and it doesn't take up as much space as those bigger softboxes. Yeah, like you it's had. not going to get in your way of so, everything. Like when I'm taking photos of that softbox, I've got to hold a camera in one hand and the softbox in the other hand above it, and yeah, you're shaking because it's heavy, and trying yeah, to watch what you're doing. And then you've frame, got, a, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. full frame, and then you've got some a leopard carrying Venice, on right in front of you, <laughs> and you're using the softbox as a shield most of the time. Yeah. Man, yeah, that'd get me going. That's for sure. I don't. I don't. Are you using when you're shooting the lapids? Are you um, are you using your twenty four to seventy or are you using your macro? Depends on the size of it. Um, twenty four to seventy most of the time for like yeah. big things like eastern browns and taipans and that sort of thing. But yeah. I'll use the macro sometimes as well, getting headshots and whatnot. Yeah, you're surprisingly yeah. close to a lot of those snakes in those in those photos. Yeah. But like they could yeah. easily bite you if they wanted to. But they don't. Yeah. yeah they so don't. I love the, I love the close wide angle shots. Yeah, yeah, they're sort of all the rage now as well. Yeah. Yeah, a lot I of people them. take I wide angle photos. Really. Yeah, I like I like the look of some of them. I don't like the look of, mm. like photographing nocturnal animals wide angle during the day. That looks ridiculous. Yeah, for that's me. a bit. Um, but you yeah, see that yeah, a fair bit now does, as well. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. like diurnal animals where you can see the habitat and that in the background that's great yeah i love that style of photography i like to see where the animals living yeah. at the same time yeah because it's not just about the animals it's kind of about the habitat as well yeah exactly it sort of gives people know. an idea of what sort of conditions that thing's living in yeah yeah definitely but um i've just got to get out and get the camera out and actually use it yeah so. that's what you have to do you just got to get out there and do yeah. it I think a trip's definitely on the cards, Luke. Up to um, <laughs> up that way, I reckon. So, I'm sure we can get a, a swag on his back lawn. Yeah, 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 for sure. I've got, my swag is in the other shed, so I'm good to go. <laughs> so, no, definitely, I'm keen for that. So, got to get up there and do it. Yeah, so. it's a good place. <clears throat> it's awesome up here. It's it's probably one of the best spots for herping, isn't it, really, if you think about it, except for maybe the Kimberley and, and so on? Um, Central Australia is the best for me. I think yeah. up, here, up here is good, but there's not a lot of variety. Like a lot of people come up from down south and think there's just gonna be, you're going to be falling over reptiles, and it's not the case yeah. at all, Not especially not in the tropics. Like rainforest is pretty hard going, trying to find things. Like I'll, If I go down to Sydney, I'll see a lot more reptiles than what I'll see up here, obviously yeah, right. trying to herp like when you're actually out looking for things. You see yeah. the same basic stuff up here. If you like if you like scrubbies, you're falling over the top of them. They're everywhere. Yeah, right. Like, so I've never like, seen one the in most the wild, common so. snake up here. Like, I can sometimes like go to the Maccas of a night and there'll be a scrubby crossing the street on, <laughs> on the way to the Maccas. Yeah. Wow. And you just drive around it and keep going. 
Yeah, or just yeah, shift, so or just push it off the road it. so it doesn't get hit and keep going. Yeah. yeah, they're really common. They're everywhere, all over the place. You don't you don't really ever see big ones. They're all two and a half ish meters and slender. Yeah, built like that old pelly behind me most of the time. But every now and then you see a big one. I've seen what I've been up here eight years, and I've seen one that was five meters and one that was five and a half. Wow. And yeah, they're both huge snakes. And they're pretty um pretty thick too. Yeah, yeah, the old monsters, like really, really big snakes. Yeah, the five yeah. meter he was crossing the road in Coranda, actually. I'd been out two hours west of here, Chiligo, with a mate herping for the night and we're coming back. It was about three o'clock in the morning and this thing was stretched right across the road at the top of the Coranda range and Nearly ran over it, nearly got it. And, um, yeah, it was a big animal. Yeah, it was five metres, big snake. And then we saw one couple wow. of mates in a cane field just near my place walking through one night and one of the guys I was with just goes, oh, there's big eye shine over there. It looks like a huge cane toad and walked over to it. And it was just this five-and-a-half-metre scrubby laying out in the open, freshly cut cane. <laughs> and it was, oh, it was big. It was Man. thicker than my thigh. Big, wow. yeah, right. big animal, yeah. Probably living on wallabies. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, but that's two yeah. in probably, I couldn't tell you how many scrubbies I've seen. It's probably thousands. Yeah, see, I'd be over the moon with whatever I saw that yeah. was different because it's, it's you good. Know, I like I don't it when people much, from though. down south come up here because taking other people out to see things that are relatively common is exciting for me when other people are yep. getting exciting seeing that animal, excited seeing that animal. Like I'll happily yeah. take someone out and show them like leaf tails and chameleon geckos and boids and get excited to actually find them. Whereas, if, whereas if I'm on much my, everything honestly, if I'm on my own, <laughs> it's just like oh, it's just another another one. leafy. Oh, there's another leafy. Yeah. Oh, there's another one. Yeah. Yeah. Chameleon well, geckos are probably the harder one out of those, but they're yep. they're still like you can guarantee them if you go to the right spots. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you walk around long enough and you know what to look for. Just look for that. Yeah, those two little red eyes, twenty centimeters off the ground at off night, the ground. looking down. Yeah, you can get them. Have you ever found them during the day? Never, never, because they they hide pretty well. Yeah, so. I, I assume they go into the leaf litter and under logs and yeah. that sort of stuff. You yep. often see the same ones on the same little sapling of a night, so they hide. They must be yeah. hiding close by. And then they'll they'll come out and sit on that sapling. Like ninety percent of them have got a uh, regenerated tails, so yeah, something's ripping their tails off. Yeah, probably just a little skink or something. Because my guys, when I had them, I had numerous branches in there. They'd always pick the same one. Yeah, so they'd have a same spot all the time. They'd always go in the, the same spot. Have you heard the, the heard the squeak the tail makes when it no, falls off? I haven't. It's pretty cool. Nah, the first one I, I ever because... first one I ever found. I um. I walked up to it and like leaned in within 20 centimeters of it to take a photo and just threw its tail straight away. Because it, and they do I, it pretty I felt common, I felt horrible, but um, it just made this little squeaking sound. I was like, oh, that's that's really. Does cool. it sound like a get like the gecko squeaking? Yeah, like, yeah. You know how it they make that like, squeak like sound when you, you pick them up? You poke a gecko and it, yeah, it make they make that squeak sound. Same thing, and it just <laughs> bounces unreal. around on the ground all over the place, obviously to distract a predator that comes in. And um, and the regen tail. The regen does well. the same thing. Man, yeah, that's unreal. Yeah, because yeah. I think we mean Luke were asking that the other week. We weren't sure if they did or not. Yeah, the regen yeah, sweeps as well. Yeah, it's pretty impressive oh, that's how it crazy. works. 
Yeah, I don't. But I don't you, know how yeah, it my does guys, it, but it doesn't. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, my guys had their full tails, so they never didn't have regen tails, oh, and right. I didn't want them to drop their tails. No, but you um, don't, because the regen tails are nah. ugly. Yeah, it so looks like they got a little um, brown carrot attached to the end of them. Yeah, so I was kind of <laughs> happy that I I hadn't heard it, but no, it'd be definitely cool to hear though. I mean, because I think they're probably the only species of gecko that does that that makes a noise as, when they drop their tail. As far as I know, yeah, in Australia, in the, yeah. yeah, yeah. So how are you going for leaf tails ticking off? Have you got many of them? Or I've got one left. Um, eg- oh, is that the one? Eximius at Cape Melville, the one you need a helicopter to get to. Yeah. Yeah. Man. So if anyone wants to chip I'd, in I'd love to, to get that. a helicopter, I'd love to go and do that. <laughs> get dropped on the top of Man. the mountain and look for them. But, oh, yeah, that's unreal. that's my last leaf tail to see. Yeah. Maybe we'll, well, that's, uh, that's we'll... sultuarious anyway. I've got a couple of fluorus left to see. Um, yeah. Carby Carby and what's the other one? Isis. Isis, yeah. yeah. Isn't, uh, so you've got, um, what's the other one? Um, Pinnacolensis. Yeah, Pinnacolensis. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a hard one. Yeah. And oh, uh, good, uh, I haven't got, awesome. no, I also haven't got uh, Gulbara, I think it is. The Paluma one. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen it either, actually. So there's a few of those left to see. Yeah. Man, I'd love to. Yeah, Yeah, they're they're more difficult. They're all in little tiny restricted pockets a lot of the time. Some of them are on protected land, so you can't get there. and You can't get there. Yeah. yeah. It's it's a lot more work or you've got to risk it and sneak in, which doesn't always work out. Yeah, get, getting caught by angry farmers is not a good thing. Yeah. I remember where I used to work over in WA, I used to do power pole inspections. And um, we had a, so on the big properties out there, so we'd basically drive around a four-wheel drive all day and check the power poles. And you'd have a key to farmer's gates, so you could basically go in the property, check the power poles. I remember driving across this bloke's paddock one day, and next minute there's just gunshots. Oh, Old geez. mate was just shooting at me. I'm just oh, like, I haven't, nah, had, that be- I haven't had that before. Straight out, like he knew we were coming, but I basically just said to the boss, I was like, no, this is it. I'm not doing this anymore. I just handed the job in. <laughs> I got chased by dogs. got chased by like two um, bull Arabs. I was like, no, Whereabouts I'm not doing was this. That I was only over there for there. two weeks. Where were you? It was, uh, what was the place called? It was out, it was out past Manjimup. Yeah. Okay. So it was like north, north of Perth, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, there was crews pretty much south of Perth, Perth, um, west of Perth, basically everywhere. Yeah. We had crews everywhere. You were, you were south of the but, Pilbara? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I was probably two, three hours out of Perth, I think. Oh, I think right, I was. not far then. So, yeah. yeah, so I was still still relatively close to Perth because I kind of, when I got that job, I was like, my first thought was, oh, yeah, I'll be off four-wheel driving in the bush, just herping, like doing everything. But I got put on like rural property, so it wasn't too crash hot. <laughs> Did you yeah, actually see much yeah. while you were out over there, like reptile-wise? Uh, not really. I saw some stroughs. Um, yeah. Like spin- spinogerus? Um, yeah, I saw spinogerus. Yeah. Um, what else did I see? A couple of monitors. I think some tristers out there yeah. as well. But that was, yeah, that's pretty much I didn't really see too much, to be honest. Yeah, right. So I was a bit devastated, really. I only did it for a couple of weeks. Yeah. But- I love WA. It's one of my favorite places to go. 
I'd love to go south to north, basically, and just yeah. drive the whole way, camp the whole way up, do a big herp trip. But yeah. um, I'd obviously have the missus and kids as well, so the herping would be a bit limited. But, <laughs> but yeah, so that's our next trip, WA. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. When are you going there? Uh, yet to be confirmed. We need a house first. <laughs> <laughs> and COVID to go away. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. They went better. Anyway. a trip at the moment and you can't go. Yeah. yeah. That would have killed you. Oh, it did. Yeah. Absolutely destroyed me. But made the most of it. Went to South Australia anyway. You got a hell of a lot of species going down there too because you did film that, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. I filmed... Yeah. Some of it, I forgot to film a lot of it. I just sort of, <laughs> I just filmed bits and pieces. Like the target of that trip was to find a Nullarbor beardy, which that was my last bearded dragon to see in the wild. And yep. I went there to see that and then I forgot to film it when I was there. I had, <laughs> oh, no. I had one little tiny snippet of it sitting in a bush and running away and that was it. <laughs> All I had. It took us so long yeah, to find right. it that when we did find it, it was just was so excited and keen to get photos of it and everything that everything was just forgotten and thrown out the window. Yeah. We'd been on the Nullarbor driving backwards and forwards and walking those planes for four days just in horrible conditions, windy and wet and like freezing. Like even for someone that's not from the north like me, it was still freezing and there was just nothing. There was no life at all. Couldn't find any dragons. And then we actually went to leave and – we stopped at a roadhouse and sort of went, eh, let's just give it one more day and try again. And we actually got it the next morning driving That's some farmer's track through these plains and we'd driven in and we're actually just driving back out again. And it was sitting on like a shrub that was about 20 centimetres tall, just hugging it in, this, in the freezing cold weather in like one little patch <laughs> of sun. And I was just looking out the window and went, beardy, holy shit, it's a beardy. Yeah, that was good. Really awesome. exciting to see. Man. But yeah, Man, I, I, I ticked off a fair few more species while we were down there as well, which was good. And the Nullarbor is beautiful. Like, not so much the plains yeah. themselves, they're just boring and dirt, but the cliff faces overlooking the ocean, it's just incredible. Yeah, yeah, I want to do that drive. Yeah, it's really good. But we could only go as far as the Western Australian border. So we got to the got to the roadblock uh, where it was all closed and then just drove up towards where they were flagging, waving everyone down and just did a Yui and went back again. Yeah. yeah. Drove back across. Jeez. Yeah, so I so still need it, I still need to do the western side of the Nullarbor. Well, it's just another excuse to go herping, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> You did you did get a really awesome photo. Now I can't remember the exact species of animal that it was, but it was a skink right on the cliff face. Oh, oh a, a Gurnia Richard Richard Eye. That photo was insane. It looked like you may as well have been hanging off the edge of that cliff yourself. That was cool. Like we camped on that cliff face that night and got up in the morning and we're just like looking at the ocean and I was actually taking some landscape photos of like that great Australian bite or whatever it is. And I was standing there. I was like, oh, there's a skink just there. And it was just poking its head out of the rocks right on the edge of this cliff face. And then as I got closer to it, it just got more and more trusting to the point I was laying on my stomach with the camera right in its face. And it would just come out and flatten itself out on the rocks and just bask with this insane background behind it. 
Yeah, yeah, the Southern Ocean within the cliff faces and yeah, that was really cool. You almost think that was a planted picture. Oh yeah, most people thought it was. Yeah, I thought it was to begin with. Yeah, no, that's completely in situ. That's amazing. Yeah, never, never touched it. (sighs) Yeah, Yeah, I'm just saying again. For anybody that hasn't jumped on Matt's Instagram already while while listening to this, you guys need to go and follow Matt Somerville on Instagram because some of these photos are just out of this world. Yeah. I should probably post I love just trolling through this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, even us. when you do, it's gold. Yeah. I saw one the other. It wasn't you. I can't remember who it was of that. It was a Kimbo um, and it was sitting on almost similar to that one you took, oh, but it was a Kimberly rock Dan, monitor. Dan Romley's. Yeah, the yeah, Kimbo yeah. at, I think, the Ord River in WA. Yeah, that's yeah, that it there, photo yeah. that photo is incredible. Yeah, I saw that and I was like, man, some of these, some of the photos that are coming, the hurt photos are coming out now. And how, man, how good like, do those wild Kimbos look compared to the captive ones? Oh, like, you can't insane. even compare oh, the them. color. Yeah, it's they're like, bright red and yellow. And like every wild Kimbo I've seen has been incredible. Like it's, <laughs> and then I it's almost like they get washed out. Go, what happened? <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. almost like they get washed out almost. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if like, it's just the line yeah. of them or captivity does it or what. The sun I've or never, I've never sure, seen a captive yeah. one that looks like the wild ones that you see. No, but once no. you get to certain areas of the Kimberley, they're not as nice. But those yeah. eastern Kimberley ones around the Ord and Kununurra and Lake Argyle are just phenomenal. Just fluoro, yeah, like, absolutely fluoro. Yeah, that's exactly what that mm. was like. It's like he he washed it before he took a picture yeah. of it almost. Yeah. Like it was just, yeah. yeah. It's beautiful. When I saw that photo, I was actually down in the garage and I was actually just feeding my Kimbo and then I was just like clicking through <laughs> the phone. It's like, what the hell went wrong with you? Why yeah, aren't you this pretty? Why are you so, why are you so ugly? <laughs> yeah. So tempted to get bad. some Kimbos, hey? Get them. They're the best monitor in yeah. Australia. Yeah, right, they're just... probably the only ones. If we could keep um, Hemiliensis, I think that's what they're called, yeah. or the, yeah, the Pilbara Rock them. monitors, I'd yeah. love some of them. Yeah, so we can't keep them in New South Wales. Yeah, I know. So. Makes getting rid of offspring very oh, difficult. Man. I see them. I'm just like, oh, I'd, I'd jump on them for sure. Yeah, they're. Have you they're, seen those guys in the wild? No, no. I've I've seen Pilbaransis. I haven't seen Hammersleyensis. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've tried, and apparently they're relatively common. But I've never had any luck when I've been in their range at like Carrigini and that sort of stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I'd love to see them. They they are one of my favourite monitors. They're awesome yeah. to keep. They're probably the best pet monitor i reckon oh really they tame down so well and they just don't care about you at all like you'll open the enclosure and they'll just walk up your arms and do whatever they feel like and they're easy to breed like they just churn out eggs yeah they're probably i reckon they're better than ackies as far as like how tame they get yeah yeah they're a little bit bigger than ackies no they're little they're tiny um, oh really? Yeah. So it's about the same size as an Aki or no? They're what could I compare? They're like them to? King Orum. Yeah, a little bit bigger they? than a King Orum. Yeah. Like yep. a male King Orum. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're only small. Um, I'll send you photos of adults. They're a lot smaller yeah. when I first got them. They're a lot smaller than I thought they were going to be once they reached adult yep. size. Like the girls, like when they're breeding size, are. Size of a yearling Kimbo, really? Oh, tiny. Oh, wow. Yeah, they're not very big at all. The boys wow. get a lot bigger than the girls, like double their weight and just really bulky. 
Like they're yeah, they're pretty, stunning. and they lay eggs really young. Like we've got eggs out of females at eight, nine months old. Jeez, wow! Mm. I, I get scared Crazy. about monitors that young laying eggs. Yeah, I've I just always just nervous. kept them in pairs so it just just happens. But yeah, yeah, yeah. did have a girl a couple of years ago got egg yolk peritonitis. Um, she was just pumping out eggs all season, just constant clutches, and then yeah, just destroyed her in the end yeah right and i've i've had that with geckos where i thought they'd land too many eggs and i've taken males away and they continue to lay eggs for the rest of the season on time like clockwork yeah yeah i and thought like, the same thing i was like if you, you should I take the male away and stop this from happening but i think it'll it's just a product of food like if they're getting yeah. enough food they're just gonna pump out eggs a lot of the time and i think because yeah. most captive reptiles are overfed a lot of the time 100%. that they're laying way more eggs than they ever would in the wild yeah like definitely. things like chameleons are really bad for that like veiled chameleons which obviously we can't keep over here but we can keep them in zoos those females will lay 60 70 eggs like wow. every and they're not meant to lay that many but in captivity yeah. they will do something like that because they're just getting endless amounts of food like over in yemen where they're found they've got a very strict wet and dry season and they're usually only eating for the wet season and then they're fasting or dying during the dry season and then yeah. but in captivity they're getting fed 365 Throughout. days of the year so the girls just keep mm. doing clutch after clutch after clutch and then dropping dead at three years old because they've just yeah. ruined themselves what their lifespan still relatively short though, isn't it? Yeah, is like, it based like ten years is a really old male. Veiled, that's a yeah. veiled chameleon. That's all we can deal with over here is veils. Yeah, but females, if you can get five years out of a captive, you're doing pretty well. Yeah, yeah, they don't live very long, especially when they're yeah, yeah. pumping out eggs and clutches the of food's sixty. Definitely the thing. Yeah, yeah, because I found that's the only way I could get some females to stop laying eggs was to just reduce the food. Yeah. And because they're hard to the eat, they'll stopped. just constantly eat all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, there's some, and then I just basically separated the male for the next season because, yeah, I just didn't want it to pump eggs out yeah, too it's, like it's that. Surely it's got to row, so. yeah, reduce their life expectancy. Yeah. Constantly. I found the leaf tails weren't too bad. They were, they'd just do two eggs every so often. Some of them would, I would only get, some I'd get six out of, some would get four. Yeah. But, you know, but some of the, um, Velvet geckos and stroffs, they were just like pumping them out. I had to cut the food back. Yeah, um, I don't keep stroffs at home, but we've got ciliaris at work and they just all year round, like there's not even a season. She'll just, the female yeah. will just lay eggs constantly. Just she'll be gravid and then she'll go a few weeks and then she'll lay another clutch of eggs and it just continues and there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It's so crazy. Man. I remember having a, um, a nobby, one of the pilgrimses, the nephros pilgrimses. I'd separated her from a male, and within 15 months, she was still laying eggs. Fertile eggs. Fertilized eggs. Fertile <laughs> eggs. It's crazy. Like, that's isn't incredible, it? isn't it? Sperm retention through yep. the roof. Just that drive to breed. Yeah. yeah. They have to do well, it. That's, yeah. Yeah, they have. That's exactly yeah. right. So they've got to eat, they've got to breed, and then that's basically their life, like in the wild. Yeah, really. exactly. And I'm sure in the so wild, they're not are. living very long either. Exactly. No. So that's probably breed why they can breed it. Yeah. That's right. They can breed it like a year. 
yeah. some of them, like because they have to. Basically, they might not make it to the second year. Yeah, exactly. So, especially the number of cats. Do you see many cats out when you're herbing wild cats? Too many. They're everywhere. Yeah. No matter where you go, even like yeah. deep Kimberley, you see cats up there. Big, oh, really? big cats too. Like Jeez, you can see man. why people think they see panthers and stuff around the place. Some of these cats that have been obviously many, many generations feral, they're huge. Um, did you see any when you're in Central Australia, in Alice at no, night? No, no. Yeah. no. So a lot of, there's a lot of cats out there, especially in those gorges and stuff of a night, Yeah. like these big grey cats that are they're huge. I'm sure they're, I remember sure I they're saw killing one. everything they come across. I saw All those in Newcastle. <laughs> That's why they couldn't <laughs> find them. <laughs> I saw one in Newcastle cry. one night on um just oh it was, it was between Singleton and Newcastle. I thought honestly thought it was a cheetah. Like yeah, that's big. how big it was. But Jeez. it was just a cat. I was like far out. I definitely so, heard stuff. Like I heard things that I was like, I'm pretty sure that's not a wallaby or a kangaroo. Yeah. Like it's, as, as a fair few cats the in those gorges. There's a lot of dingoes in those gorges as well of a night. Yeah. You usually didn't, hear, didn't them. hear any dingoes. Yeah. I uh, didn't, didn't get to hear any, unfortunately. I thought like I might have chance seeing some of those. I reckon I'd love to see some wild dingoes, especially the Central Australian ones. Yeah, there's, know, there used to be them. heaps around Uluru, but I think they sort of manage them a little bit around that area now just because too many tourists yeah. feed them a lot of the time and yeah. they become brave and then you have the whole Come right Azaria up. Chamberlain thing going on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's not – I don't see as many as what – I think the first time I went to Uluru was like 12 years ago or something. And I remember seeing a lot of them. And the last couple of trips, I don't think I've seen any at all around mm. there. Because you've got them out your way too, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, we've got dingoes around here. We've, it's cool. You get the black rainforest form up here. So black dingoes, yep. which are pretty cool. Yeah, see them around the place every now and then. And then once you head out west, yeah. you start to see just the regular tan, tan dingoes. But like yeah. everywhere in Australia, they still get killed a lot of the time. A lot of yeah. farmers are so old school that they just want to wipe out everything that has any any yeah, threat to their problem. their livestock. Yeah, it's a um a bit of a downside of of agriculture, I think, in that sort of sense. Like my one of my younger brothers, he's 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 down in the country. He's down in Yass, which is not far from Canberra. Mm. Um, and he doesn't mind hunting some ferals and stuff like that. But to get permission to go onto a lot of farmers' properties, a lot of the farmers actually stipulate that if you see a wombat, you actually have to kill the wombat on oh, site geez. if you want to go hunting on the property. He's not down for that. Yeah. I won't say that I've is, heard but that say a lot of them see wombats as pests. Yeah, well, they yeah. apparently they're digging burrows and, you know, cattle are falling into burrows or, or whatever. But, yeah, one of the things is if you, if you want to go hunting rabbits and foxes and you know, all the ferals and stuff like that. you got to hit a wombat while you're there or you yeah. can try to. So. I think in certain places as well, I think, I'm not sure, I could be wrong, but Victoria still issues permits to farmers to be able to kill wombats on their properties. I mm. think they do. I think Victoria still does, yeah. I heard that as well. Yeah, I'm not sure if the ACT is the same, but mm. I could be wrong. It could have changed. There's yeah. a lot of roadkill wombats down that way, yeah. down past Canberra and whatnot. Oh tons like yeah. the other week when i came back from there there was just yeah stacks of roos stacks of wombats just littering the road like it was just it's shocking isn't it yeah, yeah, yeah. it's horrible it's just carnage horrible, horrible. everywhere yeah. 
I definitely saw my food. fair share of that out in the in the center. Like, uh, as as I'm sure you'd be aware, like, yeah, I, I must have seen like 30 dead uh, sand monitors. Oh yeah, they get they get cleaned up out there. We were yeah. we were actually driving one day just north of Alice, um, up near Aileron, and we're following this Commodore down the road, and this Sandy come out into the opposite lane, and this car went all the way to the other side of the road, cleaned it up, and come back into their lane again, just to Jeez. hit a just to hit a bloody sand monitor. Yeah. Yeah. It's that's crazy. Yeah. I don't get some people. No, nah, they probably I get really off don't. on doing that sort of stuff. Yeah, but yeah, you see a lot of lot of dead sandies out there. A lot of obviously a lot of roos. Yeah, I saw and, a massive um, blueies, central blueies. Yeah, netted dragons, all that sort of stuff. Thornies. Ugh. Oh yeah, so many dead thornies. I- yeah, I think I saw six or seven thornies while I was out there. Smashed. Yeah. I got- like a probably a five, maybe maybe six foot Woma that was oh, like that perfect specimen. Yeah. And it was like fresh. Like not not twitching fresh, but it would have been a couple of hours before I got there. Yeah. Um black headed monitor. Yeah. Like that's like a that's an awesome species for me. And like it was just pitch black. Like the whole thing was just pitch black and like everything was perfect, but the head was smashed in. Yeah. I'll uh, I'll send you a video of a black headed monitor on the wall at the visitor center at um, <laughs> at that little tourist bit at Uluru, that little visitor center that's just there. We yeah, were having lunch yeah. there one day, and it was just a Tristus climbing up the wall right next to us. <laughs> you can't get much luckier than that. <laughs> no, oh. man, Matt's killing oh. me. Matt's absolutely killing me on this thing. Well, I'm he's got how many six hundred and something species you found? Yeah. So, <laughs> man, no, I have to. The other day, I posted up a photo. It was like a shared photo of Uluru. And I was like, oh, you know, like I, I've got to go back here, you know, not only for the rock but for the gillens and stuff. And uh, Matt's just like, oh, yeah, here's one right right by that rock just to stir me up. And he's like, yeah, I'll send you all just, the others later. I had to just rub it in a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Give you credit, it. though. They're it. not easy to find. They're not an easy yeah. monitor to find. That one, Man, that, I, just trying... that one I posted that even... picture of was just a fluke. Like just yeah, right. walking around and just it was hanging out of a like an iron bark tree. Man. How amazing uh, is that. But one one thing that I have learned is herpes have destroyed that habitat. Oh yeah. While I was out there. Because it was like you could see like the the first kind of like three meters of bark. Is peeled off nearly the- every single tree you come across. It's disgusting. It's horrible. Yeah, you have to like walk like twenty meters, twenty minutes into the bush to find good habitat. Yeah, the first time I went looking for gillens out there, we went out to the East Max, and just trying to find a tree that had bark on it was a struggle. Yeah, just driving along and just scoping out the windows, like where's a good tree to check, and mm. just no bark for kilometers and kilometers. We drove all the way out to Trafina Gorge, which I think is like eighty k's out of Alice. Yeah, and, and then drove all the way back and then we picked a tree on the way out. It's like that one looks pretty good. And then pulled up to this tree. It's like the only one with bark within kilometers and kilometers. And mate Dan got out, walked over the tree, just pulled a piece of bark back a little bit and goes, oh, I got one. And simple <laughs> as that. And I haven't yeah. seen one out yeah. there since in that East Max area. Yeah. It's like that was the only tree that it had left to live in. 
in that area. Everything else is just wrecked. And that, and that was that was the middle of summer. Like shelves. it was forty odd degrees that day, and this thing's just sitting under black bark on the side of a tree. Yeah. yeah. And you see rocks on rock shelves just flipped upside down, and yeah, you and see like that a lot trash. up here. Like you can see the whole whole rock shelf just trash. Yeah. Instead of just putting the rock back nicely, they just flip it off the yeah. edge and just leave it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you yeah, see up here shame. sometimes, like even remote like rock outcrops when you go looking for things. You'll climb up a mountain yeah. and you'll get up there and rocks will be flipped off the side. There'll be rocks propped up with rocks so they can get in underneath them. There'll be sticks and bits of wire wedged in crevices as well. Yeah. People trying to get things out of like monitors and skinks out of crevices and and you're in the middle of absolute nowhere. Like a lot of places up That's here are fairly thing, remote. Though. And yeah, yeah, hillside, you've bush bashed. 500 meters to get there and it's absolutely destroyed yeah, yeah it's just like no respect just, you can't it, say that you love the animals when you do things like that no nah, like if you can nah. see the monitor in the hole you've seen it exactly you don't need to get it out take, take that take the picture of it in the hole like that's its habit like yeah. that's like we we're saying before that's part of the habitat that it's in like that's in situ. You know? Yeah, yeah the exactly. same the same and thing then, happens with like <clears> rusty <throat> monitors up here like there's a there's a good spot like half hour up the road for rusty monitors and it was good for a while until a few people found out about it and now mm. you go there and there's literally mangroves chainsawed down and every really? hollow is snapped and hollows have got sticks wedged into them because someone's trying to get a monitor to come out of the out of the hollow mangrove and and that habitat's limited too like there's not a lot of mangroves yeah. there it takes a long time for a mangrove to get a hollow in it that's and right. Just and just to grow completely. in general. Yeah. Yeah. Just to, just so they can get the lizard out to, I don't know, take a photo of it or yeah. get a wanker shot or whatever. Exactly. Like yeah, if you can see it, just it's like sad. In the take the picture of it in the hole. Yeah. Especially spots that you've been it. going to for a long time and they've been good for a long time and then they just get in the wrong person's head and it's ruined from then on. Yeah. And I think it happens way too much with herping. Yeah. Have you noticed it's gotten more popular up your way um, over the last few years or it's yeah, kind of just stayed the yeah, same? Yeah, it's gotten more popular. Um, I feel like a lot of the young fellas up here that have gotten into it are fairly respectful and yep. pretty good about how they do things. It's more so the older generation a lot of the time that are just yeah. bash and crash and they don't really care. I'm not saying all of them mm. do it, but that's yeah. who I see it from a lot more. They're a lot more destructive about how they go about things. Yeah, right. I think at, I think at the end of the day, like people have to realise that if you are doing that kind of bash and crash kind of way, like you're not preserving anything. You're not preserving the habitat. You're not preserving the hobby for the next generation to no, enjoy because destroyed they, all of I that. I don't think they care. I think no, it's just, no, it's exactly. all, it's the, yeah, the mentality of humans, right? It's all about them. That's exactly right. It's all about getting that like on social media. Mm. Yeah, 100%. Mm. Holding it and... Or how many dollars they can get for something. Yeah, Yeah. it's exactly right. Um, It's also right. that's the other issue. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I see that. I see that at... Well, I I haven't seen that personally locally, but I've had a couple of friends that have seen people poaching locally. Um, Some pretty... I won't name names, but they're... I think they've been 
caught for their axe now. Let's just say that. But yeah, yeah some diamond pythons and things are going missing locally that that's people have thing, seen people uh, bagging. Like, they take stuff that is so common in captivity already. Like you can mm, go and yeah. buy a nice diamond python for a few hundred bucks, captive bred, clean, and they go want to go and take some adult worm ridden thing that's just going to yep. waste away in captivity so they can what yep. sell it for 100 bucks instead of 200 bucks yeah mm. well even the expo that jason and i were at the other week i won't say who had the mod on their table but there are a couple of pretty suspect looking leaf tail leaf tail geckos on a certain <laughs> table there that you know i, think a, of, I tails. think a lot of leaf tails have come that way to be honest yeah i think there's a lot of people that no, are actually legitimately breeding them no nah, yeah i don't reckon I remember spending money and buying some and getting them and they were covered in mites and then dying. They all come from Queensland, though. Yeah. Yeah. And you try and contact the person, they no longer exist. Yeah, it's the way a lot uh, of the time. But yeah. Yeah, I guess the animals had to come into captivity at some point, some way. But, oh, that's exactly right. But it's much I mean, more respectful to, to like, captive breed things. Like people should be pushing oh, to captive breed animals and have this yeah, stuff yeah. readily available for the people that are interested in them. And that, that's, that's the right. whole fun of it as well. I love breeding stuff that's difficult to breed. It's Definitely. Get yeah. so much enjoyment out of that. This, this is mean, like the age-old argument. Like if, if you think about it, like even just obviously breeding things for an Australian audience, so we've got our own animals that are here in Australia that we can share amongst Australians, one thing, but even if we were to push it to the next level and if governments were able to actually allow export, you'd smash poaching that way oh, too. Yeah. Because it's so be, easy. We'd, 100%. Yeah. 100%. And like this is like I've, I've said it to Luke for like if the government was to open that avenue and have licenses in place for exporting captive bred stock, they could charge an, like a massive fee for that license. Per year. Yep. And, but people would still and make that money back because the market overseas is huge. It would and pretty much squash poaching s- or not poaching but smuggling instantly. straight away because instantly. no one has to put something in a Pringles can yeah, or a microwave or up their bum or whatever they're doing to try yeah. and get something overseas. And like the person on the other end isn't like obviously they're animal lovers per se but, you know, they're – they're more like they're going to pay more for a captive bred animal that they know is captive bred because one, it's going to get sent properly. Mm. Two, yep. it's got paperwork. Three, it's captive bred, so it's, they're not going to get it. It's not going to die. Exactly. It's, it's, been it's like you wonder how many so, animals have actually been smuggled out for some of these people overseas to have huge collections of certain rare species that we're not even really keeping over here, like Fluorus emnicola. Like I don't even yeah, know if they're in captivity here, but. I don't think they're they in Europe. Any license here. That's for sure. And they're in the and, U- they're, and they're in the US, and yeah, they're a del- and they're doing well with yeah, them. Yeah, and they're a delicate animal. So, yeah. how many died to get them over there? Exactly. And that population exactly. in the wild is tiny, so it wouldn't take yeah. much to completely decimate it if people just kept taking yeah, like from there. Yeah, and so there's other like they could also like like Perth. They've got license take permits mm. like if you had limited number of things that could actually be taken to establish a captive population through licensing like the right channels then those wild populations are going to be sustained yeah and that that works really well it's just the other exactly. states don't want to follow yeah like yeah they could just they could literally squash poaching and illegal exports almost instantly if they yep. just you know talk to people in the hobby yep. 
but like the government's ever going to do that. Exactly. exactly. Especially, especially the licensing bodies. They're a nightmare to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, especially oh, when yeah, you, yeah, you take it to another oh, level yeah. and you're dealing with them. Like in, I won't go into too much detail, but like zoo scale, you realize just how much they're about money than actually 100%. animal welfare. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But yet, yet again, if they're worried about money, they could be getting their they cut can make of the money. pie if yeah, they were doing this. Yeah, it's, it's change at the same. That scary thing That's of right. change. Yeah. Can't change it. And then it's yeah. trying to appease all the like the animal rights groups and all that yeah. stuff because they don't basically don't want people to keep reptiles as pets in general yeah, they anyway. They just don't want so. people to keep animals in general. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Even, you, and even got your cat and dog isn't safe with them. Yeah. So, but then yeah, let, just... let's let's kind of just like rewind this into a bit of perspective too. This is we're talking about reptiles here right now. But me coming from yeah. an aquarium trade, we ship our best fish and corals straight off our coral reefs all over the world for other people to enjoy legally. Mm. But you know, like that's something that's been happening for decades now. But we couldn't do that for reptiles that are captive bred. You know, we're talking about wild caught fish, wild caught corals. Mm, like that all happens it. out off here, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, out yeah. on the reef, straight off cans. Most yep. of that stuff comes from, and in huge so just, numbers, massive yeah, numbers. Yeah. That's right. Like I just want to put it in a little bit of perspective. When the government's saying that's okay, take all the take all these corals and fish off our reef that are all wild caught, and then no, but you can't have these captive lizards sent overseas. Yeah. You know, like that's just it makes no sense. Oh, it's, it does my head in. Yeah. But I, I don't see I it changing, that, not in yeah. our lifetimes anyway. No, I don't think it will either, unfortunately. No, no, but I mean, they could make borders. The, Australia have closed borders forever. Yeah. I mean, they could make really good. The government could make some good money off it, like just license-wise, mm. if they did it properly. Uh, they could charge per movement per animal, like or not per animal, but like per movement. Per like shipment, if you did a yeah. shipment overseas. Yeah. yeah. License every year. Like, yeah. It'd There'd be, be so many people willing to when, do that. When zoos export stuff out to other, like to the US and that sort of stuff, it'd be no no different. Government gets their little yeah. bit and the rest is fine. Oh, like yeah. They let zoos do it. They just charge an absorbent amount of money and do a lot of paperwork, exactly. a lot of paperwork to go with it. But we've sent all sorts of things to the US. That's why they've but, got I mean, roughies they and parentes and that sort of stuff. Yeah. And all that stuff makes it over there live, well. Yeah, as long as it's done properly. Because it's been raised in captivity. Yeah. yeah. And because yeah. it's been raised in captivity, they can breed it. And then after after a couple of years, there'd almost be no need to export anymore because you feel like habit still is an option. Yeah. But the market's filled. So they're not going to be, you know, doing it. So obviously there might be odd species here and there that, you know, but yeah, it's, yeah, it grinds my gears. Yeah, you like, can, and you can just go around. Especially and around when you see the pictures of getting angry about yes, it. Yes, yeah. when you see <laughs> pictures of stuff stuffed into socks and yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, there's something that can be done, but they just won't do it. I mean, yeah. Anyway, makes our blood boil. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, so I, I'm going to touch back on this Kimberley expeditions that you've done because. I think I'd, that's a place that I'd really like to go to. I'd really love to find roughies in the wild. You've kind of spoken a little bit about how, uh, you know, treacherous it is to get over there. Is it is it something that you think is like possible for, 
for most people to be able to do or what sort of experience level would you honestly put that through to be able to get into? It's possible for anyone to do. Like anyone can go to the Kimberley and look for snakes. You Obviously, you need a decent four-wheel drive or something along those yep. lines. You can't just drive in and a Corolla or something Yeah, because the roads are shit. Like the, the Gibbs not a pleasant road at all. It's very rough. And then the road that goes where well, you can't go into Prince Regent anymore and but you can still go to Mitchell Plateau, which there's roughies there as well. I saw a roughie there as well. Um, they're not apparently they're not as common in that area and they're a bit harder to find. But I, I fluked one. I was looking for Felicipoda and almost stood on one that was Jeez. sitting in ambush on rocks and didn't find Felicipoda, which was gutting. <laughs> Have you seen them? No, Felicipoda? never. No. Nah, they're, they're actually my last Odura to see in the wild. Wow. Well, that, that in itself is a really impressive feat if that's your last Odura. Yeah. Mm. Um, so I didn't find them, so I have to go back to find them. But I, <laughs> I didn't find superb dragons while I was over there either. So there's a few things to go back for. But Oh, that's good. Um, yeah, once you're there, it's just a matter of putting in the man hours. That's all herping is a lot yeah. of the time, picking the right habitat, mm. Um like a lot of people talk about moon cycles and all that sort of stuff and, yeah, I think it works a little bit for some species but a lot of things just don't care. Um, obviously, activity levels are a bit less, especially with nocturnal things on, on moonlit nights but yeah. I've, I've had awesome nights herping when the moon's been out, moon's been full and seen heaps and heaps yeah. of nocturnal species. I've had no moon nights and seen nothing at all. It's just very much dependent on weather weather helps as well um in certain places rain is shit in other places rain's great for bringing things out just depends on where you are you just need to research the species and what they what they're what they rely on for activity like if in the winter months when i was there there's not a lot of like nocturnal activity at all there's not a lot of food for things to eat so the snakes don't come out because there's nothing for them to eat as well yeah. makes sense yeah but it's just walking lots and lots of walking lots and lots of climbing lots of falling over lots of <laughs> blood and all sorts of things as you just eat shit trying to climb up a rock crevice and, <laughs> and yeah it's just it is luck like there's some skill involved yeah. like with finding the right habitat and that sort of stuff but that just comes from researching reading books mm. People just need to read books on what they, the animals they like, learn a bit of their ecology and then go out and look for them. Once you find the habitat, you can usually find the animal once yeah. you're there. Not always, but it helps a lot to actually yeah. pick the right habitat. Like when I was a teenager and I was getting right into herping, I had no idea what I was doing. I'd go looking for geckos in the afternoon and out in the bush just wandering around, just looking for something, hoping it was going to be there. Now you go looking for something like, I don't know, Strophurus Robinson eye. You drive to like a little patch on the East Kimberley, find these certain types of spin effects and then walk through that spin effects and hope that you see one. Yeah, yeah. Hope you see those two little eyes looking back at you from a sea of spiky hell. And, and then wade through it to try and get to the gecko that you see. Yeah. Were they the new ones that were described recently? Um, no, that was trucks. Trucks, trucks. trucks is the that's newest. Right, that's hey. down at, yeah, like halfway up and down Queensland, um, Mal- Marlborough or something I think it's called. 
yeah. I saw them last year. Went went looking yeah. for them. Yeah, that was an experience. That was a property owner experience. I didn't realize it was private. I didn't realize it was private property. Yeah, no signs or anything, but he was not a happy man. Nah. <laughs> Lucky we just found the gecko before he before he rocked up. No, oh, that's all right. So, yeah, yeah, but yeah, that's one thing sometimes yeah. you don't realize you're on private property. Yeah, exactly. Once you get like going back to the Kimberley thing, like I said, it's just time and man hours. Anyone can go and do it, and yeah, you might go there and see bugger all. But go back again and try again. And if exactly. you don't see what you're looking for, go back again and just keep trying. I've had spots I've gone to 10, 20 times and haven't seen what I'm looking for. There's a skink up here that I've been looking for for eight years, uh, Ceranoskinkus, like those tooth, what are they called, snake tooth skinks or something, Ceranoskinkus frontalis, and I can't find one. Tried and tried and tried and tried and then someone comes up here from down south and walks, goes to Lake Berean and flips a log and finds one straight away, posts a photo and then <laughs> goes right. south, goes home again. Like, I've been looking <laughs> for those things. The amount of man hours I put in for that animal and I cannot find it. And yeah, it was the yeah. same with thorny devils. They were my – I couldn't find one. I think I saw 100-plus dead ones before I actually saw a live one. And I'd, wow. been to, I'd been to Central Australia and the Pilbara and all that multiple times and never, ever seen one. And I saw one uh, not last year, the year before, towards the end of the year, went out to Alice Springs for a, like a zoo conference and got one on the way over, which wow. was awesome. And then when I went down to the Nullarbor at the start of the year, we got two down there within five minutes of each other, just crossing the road. Wow. That's amazing. And, but for so many years beforehand, I could never find one. And they're common. Everyone sees them. Everyone that's not looking for them sees them. Yeah, it's, it's, when, you're, the it's when you're looking for them that you don't see them. Yeah. 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 Yeah, like Christy went out to Central Australia uh, the year before to pick up a car and drive it back and she flew out a couple of days before me and she saw two in those couple of days before I got there. And then what, the whole time I was there, we couldn't <laughs> find one. And that was her first oh, time ever no. out there. Drove, did a lap, around, a lap around Uluru and got one crossing the road. And then another one on the <laughs> way into Kings Canyon. That's just how it works. It's luck. Uh, it's pure luck. Yeah. Yeah, he's got to be in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Five minutes would, later and that animal could have already crossed the road. I would have liked to have um, been able to herp a little bit closer to Uluru at night time. It's, yeah. Like yeah. in that. I've been kicked out of there bit, at night. Yeah, we got kicked out. Yeah. We we got kind of like, you know, hey, you need to get out of here and they followed us out for the half an hour drive or yeah, so. Yeah, what, what I do sure is drive out. as far in as I possibly can just before it closes and then you've got to drive the 30-odd Ks back out again in the dark. But I haven't yep. had them follow me out before. Yeah. yeah. No, they, were, they were pretty insistent that they followed us out. Yeah, but, right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit... It's a bit sad you can't herp around the rock itself because I reckon that's where most of the good stuff is. Yeah. Probably because that well, road doesn't is. get touched at night. It's a lot more, mm, there'd yeah. be a lot more activity as opposed to the road out towards uh, Curtin Springs and Mount Connor and that sort of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I found, uh, what did I got? At, what did I get out there? I got a couple of Western blue tongues at night out that way. Um, 
couple of Centralian blue tongues. You saw a couple uh, of westerns out there. Yeah, I got I got two westerns total. Oh, wow. So they're I got, like, they're I got like the, one. They're the biggest thing out there. Like, yeah, that's probably that's the most what everyone uncommonly killing. seen thing. I've seen one um, north of Alice Springs, just north of town. I've never seen one down around Uluru or anything. So, so the first one I got, it was um, I was actually on my way to Uluru. I'd just gone past. Is it El Dunda Station? Yep. Yeah. yeah. So I'd just taken that right turn, off. turn past yep. El Dunda. Yeah. And it was probably within that first kind of 10 minutes driving down there. About 10 a.m. in the morning. It was pretty mild that day. It was only about 25 degrees and he was out on the road. Car, I just watched a car go straight over the top of him. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, I, I, I had to double take because I was like, oh, like I think he was, I thought he was dead before the car went over the top of him. And I was like, oh, I'll go and check him out anyway because I'm checking everything dead anyway. Um, and he was alive and I was like, oh, geez, he's alive. Cool. Take him off the road into the bush, get rid of him. Um, and then the second one that I saw, that was probably about 9.30, 10 o'clock at night one night. It was probably still about 35 degrees yeah. and that was actually not not far from the hotels at Yulara. Uh, so I was probably five minutes drive out towards Mount Connor. Yeah, okay. And got him Jeez, Got him there running around the road. That's good luck. Yeah. Yeah. Then uh, I saw a little Centralian Bluey that was probably like tiny, man. Like he was like honestly tiny. He was running around with a gecko in his mouth. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. Um, and then I did chase a big Centralian Bluey into a into a th- thicket of spin effects, much to my hand's dismay. So, yeah. Yeah. Trying to, trying see to get a see closer look at him. snakes on the road of a night? I uh, got a grumpy mulger at about 10 o'clock. Yep. So, did get to see a mulga. Um, I did get to see a stimmy. So, I got a stimson. So, everyone everyone goes, out. Oh, it's just a stimmy or whatever. For just me, that was a, like a children's python, cool. mate. Children's <laughs> python. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> got to get into that habit now. Um, what else did I see? I think I saw another couple of snakes, but I don't have the names off the top of my head because I'm horrible with a lot of like those weird kind those of things. smaller lapids um, and stuff that you get out there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, I'll send you some. I'll send you some links later and you can find what I found or you can watch what I found. Yeah, but, um, cool. Yeah, it was it was an awesome trip to do nonetheless. But yeah, it's just uh, oh, seeing a Centralian knobtail gecko in the wild, that was amazing. Oh, you got Amy A. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I spent like two or three nights trying to find them. Yeah. So that was awesome. So quick. Like, yeah, they are, this aren't they? Gecko, I was like, is that a like? I was thinking, I was like, that's got to be a rat or something like that. Like it was absolutely bolting down was the it road. Big? Uh, it was a male. It was probably an adult male. Yeah, I've seen some yeah, so- monsters out there, like things way bigger than I've ever seen in captivity. Wow. I don't know how to like describe their size, but like big animals, like like the size of an adult netted dragon without its tail. Yeah, wow, oh, that's pretty like sizable. Pretty big, pretty big amia. Yeah, like big girls yeah. and stuff. I didn't even know they got that big. That's a solid one. Mm. I, I used to have a female in captivity. She was 65 grams. I thought that was pretty big. That's pretty big. Yeah. yeah. That's huge, actually. Had a hell of a bite on her, too. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they grumpy, do, don't they? Grumpy things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, seeing one of those in the wild, like, You'll laugh That's when you watch cool. the, video, the video of me with it because I was just like... I think I've actually watched the video. Shot. I'm pretty sure I've seen yeah. it. I was so stoked on finding that. I had, 
I had to hold it just because it was like that quick. <laughs> it was just like it was not going to hang around for a photo whatsoever. But yeah, no, it was, it was a beautiful animal. Um, what else did I see while I was out that way? Oh, I honestly wish I saw some form of monitor because like I, I love monitors. Yeah. Would have been nice to see a live monitor. But uh, yeah, that's all right. It gives me an excuse to go exactly. back. Exactly. It's just an excuse. And now you know spots to check out. That's the best part. You just look at your first exactly. one as a recon mission. Mm. Pretty much. Yeah, figure and out also the good like, spots to go and yeah, the next I, time I think, you always think, do better. I think it was also a timing thing, you know, like it was, I went in February, which is our end of summer. So, you know, everything's kind of already gone through that spring breeding, feasting sort of season and kind of getting towards the end of it where, yeah, it's starting to cool down. But yeah, like everybody that I've spoken to going, yeah, you probably should have been there in more like November, December, October. Yeah, sort of period of time just in case where those first kind of rains came through for the summer or whatever. Yeah, that brings but, everything to life out there. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't get over how green it was. That was the biggest thing when I landed. Like when we were going through the West McDonald Ranges, I was like, this feels like I'm driving through Darwin almost or, you know, like Kakadu and stuff. It was that green when I was oh, there. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, the last was, time I went out there for that um, conference thing, it was like desolate, the worst I've ever seen it. There was no grass. Everything was burnt. It was just looked like a moonscape a lot of the time. Wow. And that was the worst wow. trip I've ever had out there for species. We saw bugger all. Like, and yeah. we went really hard of a night. Like, I was with Jake Meany and he desperately wanted to see a bread lie. And I hadn't seen one of them in 10 years. So I wanted to see another one. And we went every night just walking through gorges, driving way out to all the different gorges, different ones each night, and we couldn't even turn up a snake. It was yeah, just wow. nothing. Saw one mulga eating a frog that looked like it had been dead for three days. Jeez. And that was it. That's all we saw. Wow. Whereas a couple yeah, of other guys how- that were there saw a bread lie somewhere else. <laughs> they just went to one of the gorges close to town just for a quick look and found one. Ah, oh, killing! Yeah, uh, those those gorges are, are really pretty out there, though. Like, if, if you're even just into just landscape, yeah, that, there's something you can't help but just take photos of the out. rocks and the the huge eucalypts that are growing out of things, and yeah, the water that's through all those gorges. It's an incredible well, place. The, the way that I kind of looked at it as well is like as much as I didn't get a chance to see a lot of the animals that I wanted to see, I got to experience habitat. I got to look at habitat. I got to see rock structures, like where these animals are living, what they're living in, you know. So yeah. it's, and it, it's, and it's kind of cool to bring that back. It gives you a good back. gauge of like everything's not as dry as people make it out to be. Even when you go into those arid areas, especially like in the Western East Max, there's so much water around. And like a lot of that mm-hmm. water is there all year round. Like places like yeah. Ellery and that, it never dries up. So there's always yeah. water available for those animals in those areas. It's not this dry, arid nothingness that a lot of people think the desert is. Mm. Yeah. It's quite spectacular, that's it really, for sure. Yeah, that's it really is. I, I, I never thought I'd enjoy kind of like the arid center as much as I did. And after that, I, I definitely... It's one of those places to... that just keeps drawing you back constantly. Yeah. I'd go out there every year if I could. I'd do an, an Alice yeah. Springs Uluru trip if if I could afford yeah. it and had the time. 
It would be, yeah, I, I said to my wife, I was like, you know, next time we come out this way, I'd love to love to do like a camper van trip and just take our time and either either go from like Uluru or, or Darwin, one of the two ways, and just really spend our time just traveling top to bottom of the Northern Territory, yeah. essentially, you've, and just really exploring it. You've been to Darwin before? You've done Darwin? Yeah. Yeah, yeah did Darwin. Yeah. Didn't, um, didn't get too much up there. That was kind of like my first trip away from home still looking for a few reptiles and stuff so got to see some crocs got to see some water pythons um i saw in a lapid that was way too quick for me um yeah didn't didn't get to see a lot got to go out to like neurolangy and stuff during the day didn't get to yeah. go out there at night um i would have loved to have gone out there and explored those rocks a little bit towards the night but yeah beautiful habitat that's it's unreal sure. yeah that's that area is where i got my own pelly yeah, around there. See, this is another thing that was a learning curve as well. As we went at the end of the dry season. Yeah, which is horrible so, time of year to be there. Yeah, like it, looking at the few water pythons that I found, I was like, these guys are beat. Like they, yeah, yeah, they weren't looking. <laughs> yeah, good. whereas you get there in the wet season, the end of the wet season, and they look incredible, fat yeah. and healthy, and yeah, in huge numbers as well. Yeah, I was finding a couple. They looked like almost like tree snake thickness. You know, they were tiny. <laughs> yeah, tiny, tiny. I think they've had a fair few. They've had a fair few rough wet seasons too. I think the last one was really good. So things might bounce back a bit up there now. Yeah, that's mm. good. And you see a hundred water pythons instead of fifty at Fog Dam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had I had the lovely pleasure of having one one water python musk all over me. Um, <laughs> Now, uh, nobody really knows my wife, but she has the keenest sense of smell. Like she's got really bad eyesight, not the greatest hearing, um, <laughs> but her sense of smell is through the roof. That was a very long trip back to Darwin that night because it's about a 60, 70K drive yeah. from Fog Dam back to Darwin. With and, snake uh, mask all yeah. over you and the yeah. aircon blowing it into your face. Oh, I was <laughs> grinning ear to ear. Yeah, well, that was the other thing too is because we, we didn't have the windows down at all either because one night we were driving around with the windows open and we had a black, uh, bat fly into the car. Oh, wow. So <laughs> we decided to keep the windows closed after that. So, yeah, she was real happy with that smell. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good, eh? All right. Oh, bang on two hours. Look at that. It's gone quick. It barely yeah. feels like we've been... No, it only feels like we just started, really. Yeah. <laughs> so, what do you reckon? We wrap it up or... Up to yeah, you guys. unless there's anything else you want to touch on. So. If you guys want to keep talking, I'm happy to keep talking. Has Luke got anything there he wants to ask? I think I've asked all my herping questions. Yeah. I'm sure I need to talk to Matt about a few extra secrets in private, but, you know. Yeah. Leave that for <laughs> another day. Nah. Sounds good. I'm okay. Yeah, we'll cool. wrap it up, eh? All right then. That sounds good to me. I think Thanks for uh, I think coming Jack, on, mate. No worries. Yeah. It was good. Yeah, it was really I good. Think, no, it's good to have a chat. I think uh, I think we definitely need to go for a herping trip up in far oh. north Queensland, Jace. Yep, definitely. Yeah, we'll just let me um, know. We'll do. I'll pick, probably start pick your target list. We get off this. We'll go out and find them. Tick them off. I've got my three. I've got my three. Yeah, your three are easy, which is good. Yeah. 
And then anything else is a bonus. I'll, I'll literally, anything I see that I haven't seen, I'll be like a kid in a oh, candy store. You'll be in your element then. Yeah. So. I'm, I'm already thinking off the top of my head and I just like quickly made a top 10 list already. So what is it? <laughs> what is it? I, need, I need to know. Uh, so some some of Jason's, so I'd go Chameleon Gecko, Northern Leaf Tower Gecko, uh, Boyd's. So they're kind of like I'm assuming Jace's three. Green Tree Python as well. So Green four. Tree Python, yeah. yeah so so that was on mine as well. Up. Yeah. 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 Um, Scrubby, Queensland Water Python. Love to see some Scalaris. Um, uh, Rusties. That would be awesome. Yeah. Um, well, I'd love to see a mangrove monitor in the wild, but I know they're pretty pretty hard to hit. Yeah. But yeah. What else did I have? I had a couple of others. Surely you got to want, you want to see prickly forest skinks. I was just oh, about yeah. to say that. Yeah. yeah. They're well, all... I never see mine, so I'd like <laughs> to see them somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, all of that's doable. Completely doable. Yeah. Obviously green pythons and mangrove monitors you need to go way further up, but the rest you can all get around here. Yeah, yeah right. all of those are pretty easy things, really. Well, there you go. Yeah. Nice strip, Luke. Yeah. <laughs> Might have to start up a GoFundMe. Or like that. Yeah. And you can go, go and see a prickly to... that's not sitting underneath a log. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. One that you don't flip it over. Yeah. You Sometimes so, you see them when you're just walking through the rainforest with just the front half of their body just hanging out of a hollow log. And they, and they cool. just freeze when you get close to them. And you can walk right up to them, usually just take in-situ photos. Oh, really? It's not till you get really close and they crap themselves and dart into the log. But, yeah, wow. you usually see them sitting out, especially after it's rained. If it's rained, they're usually yeah. out, yeah, just chilling a lot of the time. Even on freezing cold days, they'll be out. Hmm. Yeah, yeah right. cold weather yeah. doesn't seem to yeah. bother them at all. They are cool little skinks, that's for sure. Like they're just very yeah. unique. They are. They're really cool looking. Yeah. I don't know why anyone would want to keep them, but yeah. <laughs> if you, I guess if you're into keeping empty enclosures, they're good. That's exactly. But then I, yeah. I keep Scolaris, and I never see them either. So not one to speak. <laughs> yeah, I know that pain all too well. That's for sure. All right, guys. Well, we'll we'll wrap this up here. Thanks so much for coming on, Matt. This no worries. Nice. No worries at all. Yeah. Well, I think we'll definitely have to get you on at a later date when you guys have got a few extra enclosures under your belt. Maybe drag Christy on here as well for a yarn. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. I definitely. see. So get a, get a female perspective on the hobby as well would always be good. So Yeah. Yeah. She's nice um, and honest cool. too. <laughs> yeah. I can only imagine she says how it is. Yes. That's the way she comes across on the video. Yep. So definitely. That's no, great. All right, guys. Well, we'd like to say thanks to Eric Owen and the rest of the NPR crew for having us. If you'd like to contact them, it's best to find them at MoreliaPythonRadio.com and email them at info at MoreliaPythonRadio.com. As far as contacting us and our social media platforms, you can email us at AustralianHerptoculture at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram as well. To see more of what Jason is doing, make sure to follow him on Facebook and Instagram at The Gecko Effect. For myself, you can find me on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Patreon, and Teespring under Beaches Scaly Beasts. We hope to have you back next week for another episode of the Australian Herpticulture Podcast. Good night, guys. Good night.